listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. Hello, everybody. It's hot outside, and uh, the action is hot inside the ring. Nonstop action, in fact. <laughs> but oddly, we'll be reviewing a show from January <laughs> 4th or something? Yes. Yeah, so it's Christmas time is when all these matches will have been taking place November and December of 1985. And to make it even more confusing, they're all in swimsuits because they're in Florida. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, so Saturday night's main event moves out of the Northeast. So for the first time, we go somewhere else. We get into Florida. And we're not in you know McMahon's backyard. We're, we're somewhere else. Yeah, and I, looking back, of course, I would have assumed this would be a summer show because everybody is in the beachwear and, and like they water slide <laughs> yeah. and people are sunbathing. Yeah. And, uh, but no, uh, nowadays we're paying careful attention to what is recorded when. And we also like to cover the interim. So we'll be telling you what happened uh, between Halloween and, uh, you know, the, the show's not themed New Year's, it's Beach Party. <laughs> That's right, yeah. It's definitely not trying to make you think it's New Year's Eve or anything, by any means. And this is the first of the Saturday Night's Main events that is taped, and there's a bit of a delay. So the last, the original ones, there was only one or two day delay. In this case, we're talking about December 19th to January 4th, so it's a much bigger gap. Uh, so that means there's matches happening, you know, after Saturday Night's Main event has been recorded that, you know, have to take into account that, what happened at Saturday's main event hasn't happened yet. Two weeks to put together this program? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's... Well, did, but all the matches still took place on one evening. All the Saturday's main event matches were in the same taping, yes. Okay. What I'm saying, though, is that TV-wise, they, have, they don't air for two weeks. So their ah. television which also was probably recorded a month earlier. So it's it's this careful dance where they have to record stuff and remember what order it's being aired in and how it's supposed to be represented or presented, so to speak. You know, like, is somebody injured? Is You know, there's all these factors back in the 80s with the way wrestling was presented this way. You know, some of the, some of the territories would do massive tapings. They would tape three, four, five weeks of TV at a time. And that would affect how, you know, they would have to try and tell their stories on house shows because maybe they've taped a title change, but, you know, that title change hasn't aired yet. So now the person who's the champion is pretending they're not the champion, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Yes. Who's got a broken arm? That's right. <laughs> well, there's someone new with a broken arm, but we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> so, yeah, we had that Halloween show. I think it was a lot of fun. It was really iconic. I think a lot of people really remember that show. Uh, just for the imagery alone, you know, there's so many images from the Halloween Saturday Night's Main event that just, you know, are so iconic and just last forever. Just memories burned in everybody's brain. Yeah, uh, I, I really like that one. And um, it, like I said, I was Zorro. Tito was Zorro. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wish that Tito had gotten a little more respect as Icy Champ on that last show. Otherwise, it was, it was, it was a great show. But um you know, you you hardly remember that he is the champ when that's, you look back. That's right. He's, you know, he's he doesn't playing, say anything. Playing second fiddle to a challenger. Yeah, he doesn't even speak. No, 
Yeah, and, and it's a short, it's a pretty short match. But all the Saturday Night's main event matches were quite short, so that's something we have to get used to and live with. But that's fine. You know, they only had 90 minutes minus commercials and all their setup to, like, get through these matches. So, you know, by the time you get through all that, there doesn't leave a lot of time for them to run a 15, 20-minute match. You know, they had to keep them pretty short. I think most, most of those matches kind of run six minutes, seven minutes. Uh, but it's a great time because it makes me feel like I'm 12 years old again, you know, <laughs> dressing up as Zorro uh, with my little plastic sword and my black mask and uh, and my cape. <laughs> That's right. There you go. So what we have coming up with this next card is not a lot of change. And what I mean by that is that the wrestlers that appear on what is aired as a January Saturday Night's Main event are mainly the wrestlers we saw from the previous show. So we know we set up the Hillbillies and Roddy Piper and Cowboy Bob Orton and Jesse Ventura for a six-man tag match, but we're going to see a rerun of the Fuji-Morocco Steamboat feud with a little twist now that it's in a tag team mode. You know, we're going to see Hogan and Funk wrestle, and they both were on the last card. So it doesn't, you know, we are not seeing an introduction of a lot of people. Uh, basically, the only real injection of new blood is comes in the form of a peace match. That's right. The peace match is um, at the back of the program when they're losing viewers. <laughs> and um, I'm afraid peace does not prevail, my friends. <laughs> I hate to spoil this for you. They're going to get violent. <laughs> they do not give peace. Well, they give peace a chance. They give peace a chance. They give peace a chance. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I've noticed, and I kind of want to touch on it here, is I think Saturday Night's Main Event did the tag team division dirty in these several first episodes. If we go back and look at the cards, actual tag teams are really not featured at all on the shows. So let's take a minute and look at this. Episode one, we have real tag teams in the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov versus the U.S. Express, but it's wrapped up in a six-man tag match. But I'll give them a check mark for that one and say, okay, real tag teams. Then on the second match, the tag team is the non-traditional Stud and Bundy, which we consider a tag team, but I think in 85, less so than, more so in 86. So I'm not going to give them a check mark for that. And Andre and Tony Atlas certainly aren't a tag team. And then we follow that up with the next one with Hogan and Andre versus Stud and Bundy. Again, this amazing, iconic matchup, but not traditional tag teams. And here we are on the fourth Saturday Night's Main Event, and again, we don't see any of the real tag teams from the division. It's this Morocco-Fuji Steamboat Junkyard Dog tag team match. Now, pardon me, the Dream Team were on the second episode as champs, so yes, but who were they fighting? They were fighting, you know, essentially kind of enhancement talent. Lanny Poffo was undetermined at the moment, put up a good showing. Tony Gria had a great career, but he's definitely passed, you know, best expiry date. <laughs> he's here to do the job, exactly. my friends, and he does so, it well. I think if you take my meaning is they didn't really give us like, you know, they didn't take two of the tag teams from the day and say like, here you are, put them on TV. So yeah, that's a good point. Well, um, the Bulldogs could have been in all of these episodes, any one of these or just pretty maybe? much. Yeah, I think I'd have to go back and look, but definitely by the second one. Like, um, I know. Yeah, they were around. They could have been at WrestleMania. So they could have been on the first one. Yeah. Yeah. They so. definitely should have been. Could have been. Uh, notable by their absence, in, indeed, the entire tag team divisions as far as guys who combined their outfits and their looks and their, you know, yeah. physiques, you know, so like as much as we loved seeing, you know, Stud and Bundy tag uh, yeah. or, and Andre and Hogan, like, you know, it is kind of a dream match. There are still, uh, there's an underrepresentation because you get, you know, uh, you get to see a lot of different Things happen when a tag well, yeah, team I matches. Mean, Jim Brunzel came in earlier the, in the year. Blair had already been there for a while, so now you've got the Killer Bees running around out there, and they're on house shows. And there are other tag team matches. You know, it's obviously the Hart Foundation, the Bulldogs. So 
you know, it would have been good for them to throw one of those types of matches on here, especially one of these early, you know, an early Bulldogs Heart Foundation match, because as we've noted, and most people know, they had such a history with each other, it would have made great TV because they'd already had so many matches, they had so much in-ring time together that they would have been putting this polished product out in front for everyone to see and exposing the world to David Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid. Yeah, I really wish I had taken better advantage of the opportunities to watch Stampede Wrestling while we were here in Winnipeg, but I didn't have uh, the the savvy, the <laughs> foresight to... Um, I didn't know when it was on. It wasn't a very consistent thing or I'll make a million excuses for <laughs> why right. I didn't I would so also Corey, you got to a, watch more Stampede yeah I, 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 I missed the boat I kind of want to save that story for when we do stay, you know a Stampede yeah. show because I'm sure we will at one maybe point maybe not but, the wrestlers but you, yeah you, at least you did you did get a oh good, no definitely I I you know I definitely and I'll save you were older I, no no 84 84 oh, is when, when Stampede was so on never, our TV I never got so to here's see what I'm going to tell you and what I'm going to assume I'm going to assume that your household wasn't an early adopter of TSN. Of course not. Paid channel, right? So because you didn't have TSN, you didn't have access. And ah. my, my first days of watching Stampede ah. Wrestling, also I didn't have TSN, but that didn't stop me from listening to a scrambled channel. <laughs> oh, I feel so much better. You just saved me thousands of dollars of therapy. You know, like, why? Why wasn't I watching the Bulldogs? I, mean, I couldn't even watch the Bulldogs. Yeah, that's right. So... Yeah, you know, just want to wrap up that thought of like, just wish we'd had more of the actual tag teams from this era on these shows, but they're coming. And I think starting with the next Saturday Night event, so the the setup match for WrestleMania 2, I think going there forward, there is a concerted effort to make sure that there's actual tag team matches on those shows. Uh, some of the best content is yet to come. I oh, just yeah. loved the Bulldogs on Saturday Night Main Event. They... Um, and, you know, this is how I came to love the Bulldogs, was getting right. to see them against other uh, quality teams instead of just squasher job or matches. Yeah, yeah. Our, our superstars of wrestling Saturday morning, you know, it's great to watch them do their moves, but it, you know what's coming. You know, you know, the end is the end is near <laughs> for whatever jobber happens to be in the ring with them. Yeah. So I'm um, looking forward to that. So an interesting note that heads into this match is that while we had already set this matchup on the last Saturday Night's Main event, there's a change in participants. So we have Jesse Ventura and Cowboy Bob Orton and Roddy Piper, and we have Hillbilly Jim, and we have Uncle Elmer, but oops. Somebody we... switched my cousins. <laughs> switched right. with, with Luke, Junior, Junior, and Luke. <laughs> okay, so we've gone from Junior to Luke. Yeah, and the story I've heard, and I didn't really look any further into it, so pardon me if this is wrong or you know, like a little bit out of context or something, but what I essentially heard is, he was legit, like real backwoods guy, like you know, like you know, like literally, like he who he cousin uh, junior. Okay, so the guy who left, the guy who left. All right, first so I'll say he gets. I liked I liked his dancing. I don't like this he, new guy. He doesn't dance. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So apparently, you know, he got a few checks, and he'd never seen any money in his life, and he was basically like, "Woohoo, I'm retiring!" And he took off and he went home. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I, I would have to look it up. I wonder if he had an LJN toy, you know, because apparently those checks were just outrageous those first couple of years, like 84, 85. So maybe he got one of those big, like, I you know, quarterly the, checks from LJN, and he was just like, I'm I'm going to retire. Seems to me I remember the Hillbilly Gym toy very well. These oh, things yeah. were indestructible, by the way. Yeah. Like the, they they the didn't dog, budge. The, the dog, dog chew toy, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I didn't have such indignities happen in my house because we were a cat <laughs> household. So um, anyway, uh, I don't. I think there was. We'll find out whether yeah, or not you can, there were you any. You can rob hillbillies. a bank with an LJN. You know, just give the, <laughs> give the teller a whap over the head. Yeah, give me that I money. don't think there was an Uncle Elmer or. Any I saw cousin. an Uncle Elmer. There was a guy who put a posted a video. He was in a. Um, some kind of a, what do you call it, secondhand thrift store. And the person, he's filming, and the person behind the counter brings this box over, and he lays out all these LGNs, and they just have these little tags, like $3 each on them. And at the bottom, he's adding to his own text to this video, saying, like, they have no idea what they have here. <laughs> like, because, you know, some of them are rare and they're worth quite a bit of money. And he's just, like, lining them up to buy them all, kind of thing. And, I, I, and that's where I saw an Uncle Elmer. I, I don't, can't recall if I'd ever seen one before that video. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so the, really, that's funny. Well, I don't really like this new hillbilly because I <laughs> and, liked the way the old guy danced. Yeah, and I wasn't a big fan of the hillbilly, hillbillies in general because they just sort of like they took up three main events in a row, like you know, like yeah. And he's he's still like the Buddy Roberts, you know. <laughs> now he doesn't dance either, so get that's him right. out of here. <laughs> So one important thing that happens in the month of November, which we're not really going to touch on deeply because we're going to reserve the right to at some point come back to this and do a show on it. So technically on paper, it's called the second ever WWF pay-per-view. Some people will have called it the first ever WWF pay-per-view. There's the wrestling classic. Yes. Um, well, uh, you should have told me. Is this is the one um, where Savage meets uh, Bulldog at the end? No, no not Bulldog, no. Um, and we're not here to talk about the results. We're just here to you know say yeah. that. It was a video rental. It was video release, but you could get it. Limited people had pay-per-view access at that time in the fall of 1985. And so some people did watch that way. I don't know if they is did it in closed circuit. It is the tournament. The tournament or a tournament? Because there's one where I don't really know much about. And then there's okay. the one that I do know. Uh, that I think that I'm making still, reference to. And, well, I mean, other than, the, I guess, their host show, King of the Ring tournaments, it's the only oh, the real King, tournament. Yeah. That's maybe one I don't know much about, a King of the Ring this early. I don't know. Yeah, well, we played a, a radio commercial for a King of the Ring on a previous episode, so there was an 85 King of the Ring host show match, and, that we, and it was the same time period that we had Hogan versus Volkov, because that was where they had fought each other on that house show, King of the Ring, was sort of their high... Okay, yeah. so now that I've got my bearings, uh, yeah, the wrestling classic is amazing. I love that uh, tournament. It's always good, yeah. you know, and uh, you've got foreshadowing of WrestleMania 4 there, if you like. Yes. Um, and, um, yeah, that's something you should watch. Well, for sure. And I love this, the cover of it, you know, the, the VHS cassette like when you go in the, the you know in the store to rent it like just the way it looked it kind of had this blue royal kind of like look to it or whatever that's really interesting because i never came across it in that way so i don't have even an image in mind of the cover of the vhs right. yeah yeah rental. so in at the time when i got it it was one of the very first things i rented uh was the wrestling classic wrestlemania was of course the first one and then i started getting other coliseum videos and the wrestling classic came up pretty early in my rentals and it made me think that, like, anything was possible. Like, if they could put this tape out, if this tape could come out of this tournament, like, you know, there was going to be all these great shows. And then meanwhile, the reality was is that they stuck to their big four pay-per-views for a long time, which is something that made wrestling great. I didn't understand it as a kid. <laughs> I wanted more. I wanted I wanted a wrestling super, super card every month. But as an older person, I realized, like, I don't want a wrestling super card every month. <laughs> I want to let those storylines build. Yeah. Careful what you wish for. Three hours of Raw, two hours of Nitro, six hours of Thunder, Rampage, everything. I don't know. Sunday Night Heat, something, something. Yeah, yeah. too much. And then, like, the up-and-comers, NXT. Okay, what? Okay, uh, too much. Yeah. 
dark yeah. content. I've always said this. Content. I don't understand. I, I, I can't really think about the experience of a modern day fan, especially a young fan, because I don't see how they could really ingrain themselves to like the product the same way that we did, because they're not going to like, how would you ever have time to rewatch any shows? There's just nonstop, constant flow of new shows. So, you know, when we had our hour of syndicated TV, with most of it being squash matches and nothing really to watch, when we finally got our hands on something that I had a recording, yeah, that's why I watched it a hundred times, because there wasn't anything else to watch. If there was 12 hours of content every week, well, how the heck am I going to watch that over and over and over again? I'm not. Not like it used to be, I say, in the good old days. Okay, so let's wind down the path that's going to lead us to reviewing the Saturday night's main event. So we're going to check out some matches, some, of course, talk show segments that we love to look into, the Piper's Pits and Body Shops and things like that. Anything else newsworthy, noteworthy to bring up? And we'll rock our way all the way to take us all the way out of December, at the end of December, 1985, with one of the you know best matches I could find that we've looked at so far. It'll come up. So we're going to get there in just a bit. Okay, so one of the first things I wanted to cover was an odd version of a Piper's Pit. So the recording comes in. I, I was looking for a Piper's Pit, but the way that the clip starts that of the video I found, it's actually the very end of a Paul Orndorff matchup, and he's wrestling Mr. X, who <laughs> we've seen in a few things. He was even in the, the video for <laughs> Land of a Thousand Dances. Yes, he didn't comment. He's a, he's a taciturn man. Doesn't, right. doesn't say a lot, Mr. Yeah. X. So the interesting thing is that, like, Paul Orndorff is sporting a cast. Ooh, yeah. well, Bob Orton's been knocking everybody senseless for the last nine That's months. That's right. So now this cast does not go over his hand, so his thumb, you know, isn't sticking out of the cast kind of deal. It's literally just a forearm bracer, basically, a plaster forearm, you know, bachelor that he's got on. And all you see is him whip Mr. X off the rope, and in a weird kind of way, he almost sidesteps him and let him go by, and then as he's passing by, he clubs him in the back of the head with his cast and he pins him and the announcers announce it and it's funny because he's totally a good guy but he's you know it's it's one of the cheapest you know it's total bad guy cheaty kind of thing to do and immediately you hear over the microphone mr roddy piper and he's like no 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 and he's all upset so you get a split screen so now we're over to piper's pit set and one of my favorites king tonga is sitting there in the chair getting ready to be interviewed and he's got his like i don't know hawaiian shirt on or whatever it is and there's bob bob and and uh, Orn and pardon me and Piper and Piper is just screaming over the microphone at Orndorff and is like, he doesn't need that cast. That's fake. He's lying and all this stuff. And they're going back and forth. And and Orndorff, of course, is inviting him into the ring. And uh, he's calling, saying it's a trick. He's calling Orndorff a, a stinking liar. And of course. So Paul says his arm is just as broken as Ace's is because he goes and gets a microphone. So now they're talking back and forth from the ring to Piper's pit set. So they're, you know, barking back and forth. Piper, of course, freaks out about that. He's like, he's almost ready to tear down his own set. And so Piper, try, he leans in and tries to get King Tonga to agree with him. Like, you know, like, this is outrageous. What do you think? And of course, Tonga doesn't really say much because he never did. So Piper wants Orndorff to prove his arm is broken. And Paul invites Roddy and his girlfriend, that's Cowboy Bob Borden, down to the ring. So of course, they're not going to go. And uh, Piper says that they don't go to people, people come to us. So then Orndorff does just that. <laughs> Orndorff gets out of the ring and starts going through the crowd. It's really like, you know, he literally just like hops the railing in, you know, a sea of people. So by the time he gets over there, uh, Orndorff and, Cow you know, Cowboy have taken off. Pardon me. Piper and Cowboy have taken off. And, and Tonga at some point had left as well. So poor King Tonga, he's like, he's supposed to be on some Piper's pit uh, set. And he doesn't even get like one word. No, no, you know, no chances. But uh, That's better than a coconut to the head. That's right. Yes. 
So Paul Orndorff ends up referring to his cast as he's talking to the audience as uh, it's Paula. He refers to his weapon, his arm, as Paula. Ah, right. <laughs> Which is funny because later on that would be something used to you know jeer him and yeah, make fun of him. Yeah, that's a taunt. So there's another Piper's Pit that happened from the same TV tapings that would have aired a little bit later. And Jeff, why don't you tell us about that? So I watched a Piper's Pit that began the same way as you were describing, rather with the end of a match. I don't even know who Orndorff and Spivey right. are wrestling. Yeah. So I, I was listening and waiting for you to mention Dan Spivey, who actually looks like a young Hulk Hogan here. Oh, yeah, he, for he sure. great. Yeah. yeah. Um, with more air, you know, all there. <laughs> anyway, uh, and there's a cast, and Orton is waving it, taunting Piper. Yeah. And Piper appears to be on his set, so, you know, hopefully we... I'm pretty sure we're not talking about the same thing, but anyway, but Piper's also got, apparently, the locker room, you know, yeah, on yeah, his... Yeah. You I know? saw a picture of it, so I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. I'm sure you'll fill up any gaps, but uh, among other things, we get a great look at the newish tag team champs. I mean, it's been moving around a lot, but you got Greg the Hammer Valentine and Brutus... Not yet the barber. <laughs> Brutus Beefcake. Yeah. I think Beefcake looks best at this point. Oh, yeah. Especially with some gold, even though they're sort of silvery gold belts, but That's never right. mind. Um, so those guys are there, but you've also got the Heart Foundation. That's right. I think they're wearing blue, though. And yeah, that's right. That's the, before the pink and black attack, they were the blue and black. Yeah. Um, which seems more obvious with, uh, you know, Bret Hart, yeah. Jim the Anvil Neidhart, managed by Jimmy Hart. Like, it's the yeah. obvious. Go with the, you know, with the pink. <laughs> um, okay, so who else do we got there? Um, I know. Oh, yeah, I know we got Hercules. Hernan. I think he's still going by Hernandez. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's in '86. He's still he's still Hercules. Hernandez. Right. So I'd seen him in the magazines, and yeah, was well. I never saw this. I mean, this is new to me. This, yeah. this bit, and I never. Anyway, point being, um, so that's five. And uh, were there any heel manager? We always have Ace Cowboy Bob. Yeah, of course. Gordon. Yeah. So that's six uh, heels. Uh, is there room for anybody else on set? Yeah, I'd have to look and see if there was anybody else, but there was definitely the double tag team plus Hercules. There might have been, yeah, like maybe oh, some seven. of those managers were in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the magnificent And, and just a note on that, like I tried to find the Piper's Pit, or maybe it was a body shop where Freddie Blassie introduced Hercules Hernandez, but I just could not find the video. So that that happened in this time frame where Hercules was introduced. And so Roddy's taunting, you know, these <laughs> two wrestlers to come yeah. and take on these seven guys and of course you know they it would be pretty stupid for them to charge into that crowd and start yeah. throwing punches so it's a bit of odd booking because the faces definitely have to uh just you know walk away from the confrontation you know yeah, for their yeah, own yeah. safety um yeah, it but says here that jim jimmy hart and blassie were, were on the on the on the stage as well oh, okay yeah. it was yeah. really crowded yeah <laughs> um i don't they, i don't even think they got to everybody it's Probably hard to not. yeah um but there was a lot of waving and taunting with the cast around right. orndorff's forearm because orndorff got hit more than once by orton's cast and so yeah that was a uh, it was pretty cool to see all those villains you know together it was kind of yeah. like you know um remember the cover of the in like a 1970s dc comic cover famously had you know um on the left side of the comic book uh was the heroes you got Bat uh, superman at the top and on the other side let's say probably lex luther and below that was batman and below him was joker yeah, and then yeah. below that was the flash and across from him was mr freeze and then below that was wonder 
Roman and below that was like the you know cheetah and yeah. like they were all headed towards each other yeah, in this yeah. perfect symmetry and it was kind of like you know the, the the Justice League versus the super baddie society yeah. and it was just kind of iconic image to see all the heroes going against all their villains on on the cover of one comic book and so <laughs> the, the original Legion of Doom <laughs> yeah so it was pretty cool to see just like this big group of villains on Piper's pit. Yeah, I didn't actually get to watch the clip, but I imagined it was like that Roddy would just be in his his glory because he's got all his backup, so he can be yeah. he can be his his like sort of most confident, most yeah. like braggish. Yeah, he's like, know. come here, come here, but they yeah. can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you're such a tough guy, come here then. And they just sort of get close, and then they walk away, and they you know the heel, the the faces have to say, nah, well, you know, some other time. So before we move on, I'll just very quickly, like two sentences, there was another Piper's Pit and I couldn't find the video for it and it sounded pretty funny. So it's the Hart Foundation are on with Jimmy Hart and it's a big love in. And at some point, if I read it correctly, (laughs) Piper and Orton trade their kilt and cowboy hat to Bret Hart for his sunglasses. Like they're trying to like make Bret Hart sunglasses so important, so cool that like they would trade all their gear for like, you know, just his sunglasses. Well. I have uh, an observation about sunglasses to make later on in the second part of this, where we actually get to the Saturday Night's Main event that they recorded in Florida. Yeah, okay. All right, so there is one really important uh, happening in the fall of 1985, and we're going to see a match between a title defense of Wendy Richter versus what's listed as the Spider Lady. Now, when you watch the match, Gorilla Monsoon only refers to the wrestler as the spider. The Chiron on the TV screen lists the spider. So I don't know where, like, Spider Lady's gotten onto every website, like any kind of, like, listing of anything. And it's always Spider Lady. But the reality is it's actually just the spider. So the wrestler is head-to-toe, full-body suit, full-mask, black outfit. And there were several house show defenses of Wendy Richter versus the Spider or Spider Lady. Take your pick. And so she was beating the Spider Lady around the house shows. And I've read that there's been def- there was several different female wrestlers that were used under that. And sometimes it would be a Judy Martin, or sometimes it would be somebody else. Sometimes it was even Moolah. So like there was all these different people losing to Wendy Richter as the Spider, you know, running around the house show. So this match, uh, you know, starts out and. Right away, there's one thing I noticed, which is that there seemed to be some lack of cooperation within the match. The match is still happening, and they're still wrestling the way they normally would, but there's so many times where it looks like they're not really going with it. You know, they're not taking what they're, you know, almost like an improv thing like you would describe, like, you know, they're almost like not, you know, feeding off of each other. They call of, it uh, blocking in yeah. improv comedy. Yeah. Blocking. Don't be a blocker. So basically, Wendy's just, the whole match, Wendy's going for the mask. He's constantly trying to, like, rip off the mask of this wrestler. And Wendy just really dominates early. Uh, and again, like I said, it's kind of klutzy at times because there's times where there seems to be either no selling or, uh, like, a sort of, you know, not really, you know, someone tries to give somebody a whip and they're not really going with it. And you're not used to seeing that in wrestling. You know, if somebody takes somebody and Irish whips them, they, they get thrown, even as, you know, un- unrealistic as that might be. So at one point, Wendy tries to do like a flying head scissors. And again, I don't know if it's because of lack of cooperation, but that's totally botched. Like she just like, you know, the wrestler doesn't go down at all. And Wendy basically just falls because she can't hold herself up in the air about her legs without without somebody trying to you know help her do that. And uh, so Wendy hits a really big clothesline and gets a two count. And when they stand up, the spider lady just reaches in, grabs her, 
rolls up a small package, and the referee comes down and hits the mat. Wendy kicks out and turns on her side completely at one. So her, like, you know, she's on her, let's say, right shoulder. Her left shoulder's pointed to the sky. Her back is, like, you know, sideways. Like, there's no shoulder, you know, there's no two shoulders on the mat. And the ref just, you know, like, quick, the quickest three count you've ever seen. And Gorilla Monsoon's really not sure what's going on. And after a few seconds, Wendy's like, starts fighting again. But then the bell rings. And you realize it's a title change. And this is the original Screwjob. Oh, my God. So, basically, it's this weird end-of-the-match thing where, like, Wendy realizes, as, you know, as the story goes, she was not informed that she was going to be losing the title that night. She apparently had been in some disputes over contracts with Vince McMahon, and they decided to take the belt off her and didn't tell her. Um, and they put uh, Moolah in there, because even though she was, you know, at her advanced age, she could handle herself and you know so Wendy is attacking her in this weird mixture of like normal wrestling but then every once in a while like a real shot you know and you can see there's things going on that aren't really like it's it doesn't look right it's just very awkward and and Moolah's just gets the mask ripped off so now she's revealed as Moolah and the, they announce her as the winner and she has the belt and then that's when Wendy kind of really attacks her and really starts pulling her hair and really starts you know punching her and and basically Moolah's kind of just trying to like she's not really fighting back a lot she's just sort of no-selling it and trying to like parade around the ring with the belt and stuff like that and and it's you know it's really kind of a sad story when you you know when you when you look into it and hear about it and stuff like that and so Wendy just apparently goes to the back and leaves like she leaves the arena in her full wrestling gear like she doesn't even get changed and she never goes back to the WWF until I'm whatever year it was when they finally put her in the Hall of Fame and she finally you know took whatever legends contract they pay you some money and do whatever but she was so upset by you know how she was treated but so in fairness to Wendy I think she you know it's not a good thing but when you hear like apparently she was asking to be paid as much as Hulk Hogan yikes you know I mean so this is what I, my feeling is she was probably being underpaid, but she was right. asking for way too much money. <laughs> like, you know, at this point, Cindy Lauper's not really a thing. And as we saw, the magic of Wendy Richter <laughs> was Cindy Lauper, you know, like the two of them together. Without Cindy in her corner, I don't think she's this big star. She's just, you know, but she had gotten to a certain level. So did she deserve a raise or something? Probably. Did she deserve, you know, Hogan money? No. <laughs> and like, there's a whole bunch of other wrestlers that wanted Hogan money too, and they didn't get it either. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah, so who knows? It's unfortunate if she had maybe been a bit more savvy with her negotiations and expectations, maybe, you know, she would have had a more successful career in the WWF that could have continued on. But it's also like, as we alluded to in those original Saturday Night's Main events, when the women's division was being so highly, you know, featured, um, I think that there wasn't really like, there wasn't a lot of other performers. So like, what could they have done to keep dragging this out? It was almost like they needed like some time off. Like we see a little resurgence in 87 with the jumping bomb angels and some other wrestlers. And again, it kind of goes away and you really got to wait until things like, you know, Medusa coming in as like a Lundra blaze years later, like, you know, before they really try again. So there's this sort of big gap where there isn't women's wrestling. And this is sort of the sad end of, you know, this is one of the this is one of those one of the final nails of the rock and wrestling is like you know is Wendy is Wendy getting screwed and and leaving the company in my opinion anyways. Yeah, well, it's a sad tale. Okay, so a uh, couple of notes. We're just skipping past some stuff that we don't have time to watch all these matches. So, um, there is a match that I came across without watching it, which is Andre Hibbley Jim and. 
Captain Luis Albano versus Stud Bundy and Heenan, which is obviously a follow-up to that last week's match of the tag team match where Heenan and Albano got, you know, got into the fisticuffs and Heenan ramming him into the stairs and Heenan taking bumps for Andre. So, you know, I'm sure that there should be some, you know, probably some good comedy gold in there. Uh, and then we'll go from there to Piper's pit where he's going to talk to a doctor about Bob Orton's cast. Well, Piper is on a mission to have this cast decertified, delegitimized, removed. <laughs> so they get a doctor onto Piper's pit. And uh, this guy in a nice suit looks like a real doctor because, uh, you know, he's not having it up. He's just, uh, you know, answering the questions. And Piper is his usual belligerent self. And, um, yeah, it's a good bit because he's, he's just basically saying, how long does it take for a cast to do its job, how long should you wear a cast? And the guy's saying, <laughs> four weeks. And he's like, no, 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 no. No, my, you know, and just basically they keep going back and forth. And Piper eventually says, okay, so you agree that uh, Ace Bob Orton, you know, has uh, got every right, eight months. And he said, no, 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 no. It's, uh, yeah, it's a fun bit. It's quick, short and sweet. And uh, Piper's doing his thing. Right. That's uh, that's pretty neat. Yeah, I, I I'd read that one and I couldn't. I never saw it myself, so I I just thought that was pretty funny. Okay, again, couldn't find the footage on this, but it's just, just a funny note. I wanted to mention it. December sixth, there's a Hogan title defense against Jesse Ventura. The difference here, though, is the special guest referee is Bobby Heenan. <laughs> Ooh, wow! Talk about your AWA reunion. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. If I read it correctly, the pin comes off of. Hogan giving Jesse and Bobby Heenan a double noggin knocker. So oh. maybe there's a different ref involved too or something, but I don't know. I'm not sure right. what, I'm not sure how Bobby takes the knocker and then also makes the three count, but <laughs> Wow, that would be a treat to see. Okay. Now we get a real treat here. We go to the Boston Gardens for a match between Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat. Yes, indeed. Well, Savage is uh, still on his meteoric rise as the He's getting shots against the Intercontinental Champion. He's getting shots against the World Champion. And here he's um, his first taste of the dragon, which will also be legendary in the career of Randy Macho Man Savage. It's a, it's a great match. It, uh, it's got uh, all the things that you want. It's got length. And uh, we're not going to try to take you down the whole path of what happened blow by blow. Steamboat is still in... Um, it's a kind of an odd look. He's got yeah, long, yeah. He's got more like motley. Well, not motley. Instead of all white trunks or all red trunks or all whatever trunks, he's got uh, well tights. He, he he. We're used to seeing Steamboat in long pants, so tights. And at this point, his trunks are a different color. So I think he's got the he's got the red leggings and the and the, the black. I think on the yeah. trunks. Anyway, the significance of this feud is huge. And so this, you know, is great action. I mean, it's what's legendary about WrestleMania three, for example, is how much work and effort went into it. So I maybe it got me to wondering whether or not Savage had micromanaged this match as well. Steamboat does look bigger and stronger than Savage, and he spends a lot of time on the arm. And uh, Savage is really selling an injured arm. Yeah, very early in the match, he runs him into the post on the outside, and mm-hmm. Jesse's really pissed off about it. And Savage just does a great job of selling his that one arm for like the rest of the match. Pretty much, he's like, yeah, he's a wounded bird. So the only thing that's notable about this is the fact that you know. It's not the only thing that's notable about it. It's great, but it doesn't have... It's a warm-up, 
You know, it, it, it's about what's to come, really. This doesn't have the build-up. It's a random match. There isn't any revenge angle to this particular match. And they, the both athletes look fantastic. And, you know, it's great to hear Monsoon sticking up for some blatant cheating that Steamboat gets away with. <laughs> and they just, I wasn't looking, Jess. And compla- yeah, <laughs> Jesse's complaining really about up. your bifocals looking out the wrong top <laughs> of the end. And, so that's fun. Yeah. Now, the finish of the match. I, I love the spot where uh, Steamboat skins the cat. But like Savage catches him on the way back in and just nails him. And then he doesn't he, he doesn't go clean over like he's supposed to probably. So then Savage uses his leg almost as if he's kicking him to like kind of flip, finish the flip, you know, but yeah. put Steamboat back outside. And there is a tactic that uh, Savage does a lot here that he, I don't see as much of him doing later. And that's kind of like hiding behind the corner of the ring. Oh, the yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. And yeah. at one point. He's as, crawling. Yeah. <laughs> Steamboat really invites it at one point, does this kind of like he's walking backwards and then he turns the corner backwards just to give Savage such a clean shot at the running (laughs) knee from behind, which is a great move. I mean, anybody can take that running knee from behind. And as soon as you feel the impact, you throw yourself forward. So, um, but Savage is, I mean, sorry, Steamboat's just, you know, um, almost. And anyway, it's he's almost anticipating it, like we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, now let's see what happens at the end of the match again. I'm trying to remember the finish. Like at this point in their career, neither one of them is going to go down clean. Oh, of course, now it comes to me. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, all I had to do was talk for a second. So we are going to cover things that happen in the future, and there's more foreshadowing. We see in a spot, if you will, in other words, a few moves in combination that will get repeated. But Savage is. He's getting more than he can handle from Steamboat, and his arms hurting, and he's always running. This <laughs> version of Savage is uh, very hard to get your hands on. He's always like uh, <laughs> ducking out of the ring. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, he's really quick. And but towards the end, Savage is on the apron outside of the ropes, and he ends up in um, what is like kind of like would be maybe a an atomic drop. You know, where you put the guy down and put your knee into his tailbone kind of thing. But while he's, uh, and then like Steamboat's going to bring him instead of in, like in doing an atomic drop where, uh, instead of doing an atomic drop where Savage would have to like go into the crowd, you know, if he uh, is going to do more like a, a suplex where, yeah. if, you know, a guy's got say a side headlock on you, you pick him up and just drop him on his back. The back suplex. Yeah. yeah. But uh, while Steamboat has Savage, while he's getting him ready, Savage is fishing around in his tights and Monsoon <gasps> falsely accuses Savage, <laughs> uh, Elizabeth rather, the lovely, innocent Miss Elizabeth of participating in the chicanery. But no, Savage, to the astute viewer, is can be seen fiddling around in his tights, although the camera is a bad angle and the referee can't see it either. So Savage fishes out a foreign object and while he's up in the air, he punches Steamboat in the head and... He hides the foreign object in his fist and he gets the three count. The dastard villain cheats for the win. (laughs) And uh, then he, oddly, instead of sticking it in his trunks, he tucks it between his arm and his, uh, even his armpit, tucks it in his armpit. And eventually, after all his (laughs) celebrating, Steamboat gives him a punch or two and and lifts his arm up. (laughs) Yeah. And finds the foreign object. And they have this great, like, tug of war over this object. They dive on the ground for it. Yeah. That's a pretty funny spot where they both hit the mat at the same time. Rolling around. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, they're rolling around for the foreign object. Of course, Steamboat gets it. And um, Savage has to run away with Elizabeth before he gets uh, his proper. 
uh, comeuppance. Yeah, I thought the one thing they did in this match that was neat, considering the ending, was they did a bit of a setup. So a little bit earlier in the match, Ricky Steamboat delivers this long, delayed back suplex where he holds Savage up in the air for a really long time and eventually finally falls back. So and this is like a repeat. He's doing the same thing again. He's holding like, why did he wait so long kind of thing? And that's, you know, it's almost like they they, they do a nice setup to kind of make you think like, oh, this is how, just how he does it. Yep. So yeah, it's really it's really neat to get to see them, you know, so early on in their feud. I know we did recorded uh, originally when we first did our original recordings before the show started. We have a, in our bonus content, we have basically the November 22nd, 1986 Superstars of Wrestling card, which features... The big title match, Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage, that sets up WrestleMania 3. And it was through that that we were trying to look and see, like, oh, there must have been another televised match in 85. And I quickly looked, and I couldn't find it. And this was it. This is that televised match. Because, you know, I was, I was sure there was. So it's great to kind of see them, like, basically a year before they're really going to get going <laughs> to get a little snaky lick. Yeah, and if you're listening to this show, you probably know that many people will argue that Savage and Steamboat for many years had what many people considered the greatest wrestling match in history. Hard to hold that title, you know, 30 years down the road. I, I think it still gets credited fairly high. And, I mean, obviously, opinions are just based on, like, you know, preference and what area you grew up in. But it's, it's surprising how high I think it still ranks. People still kind of tip their cap to it and say, like, yeah, that's still yeah. right up there with this, this, and this, you know. Like. And I really enjoyed watching this because I'd never seen it before. So that was great to see. And uh, Savage had a lemon-lime look. He was cutting a promo for Sprite. Green tights, yellow boots. <laughs> Not tights, trunks. Green tights. Green trunks. God damn it, get your trunks and your tights straight, mister. That's right. Okay. We're also in Boston for an intercontinental title defense. It's Mr. Tito Santana defending against Jesse Ventura. Love it, man. Yeah. I wish they'd ha- you know, had more Ventura wrestling on TV. Yeah. I'm sure their, cr- their pass had crossed in the AWA when Tito had his run there back in the day. So this would be a kind of a rematch of that. And uh, it was quite interesting. So it's the same card that Jeff was just talking about. And the one thing I always notice with Boston is because they, the flooring they put down over the rink is like yellow. So it really stands out. It's, like, it's so easy when you watch like those 80s boston cards that it's like you don't even have to like think about it you're just like oh they're in boston you can just tell by the coloring of the you know of the arena itself and stuff like that so it's pretty neat um so tito again (laughs) we're going to continue on our little parade of like disrespect for tito so the file starts and tito's in the ring as the champion with no entrance and out comes jesse ventura you know like with the tie-dye shirt and a boa and uh, you know looking pretty cool and looking big because, you know, uh, Tio isn't the largest wrestler, so someone like Jesse is quite a bit bigger than him. And uh, he really takes his time removing his stuff, like the boa. And he's got, like, three earrings in each ear that he has to take out. And so like, Tito's trying to, like, get the fight, the match going, and the referee's holding him off. And, and Jesse's really taking his time, kind of the master of, you know, delay tactics. And it's really good. Um so this whole match is really just about Gorilla Monsoon on the call, like calling out his buddy, his his usual broadcast partner. And pardon me, Jesse's on the call in the same, like he's doing commentary the same night that he's wrestling this match. So that's pretty funny too, you know, so, but he is just cheating. Like I, you've never seen anyone cheat as much as Jesse Ventura cheats. You know, it's like eye rakes, raking the eye on the rope, uh, you know, the th- get, get a guy in a headlock and then give him the thumb to the throat. Like he just kind of is, he's pulling every little trick he can to like, you know, just do it. There's a great moment 
moment where the ref is giving him, you know, the gears about his cheating ways, and Jesse just backs up into the corner and then like wipes his brow and flicks the sweat at the ref. <laughs> Classic heel move. Yeah, totally. So then. He's complaining to the ref about something. I'm forgetting what the part is, but it was really funny because he's like, oh, now he wants to become a referee too? Like, did you, you know, you know about, about Jesse. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and so at one point, Tito's down and hurt and, and Jesse's kicking him and stuff and he, you can hear him on the mic. He's getting picked up by the cameras. He's, he's going, he's, he's calling him Chico. Get up, Chico. Get up. <laughs> and he's giving him the boots. <laughs> so Jesse gets a bear hug on and then Tito punches his way out. And of course, Jesse begs out for, you know, the, he begs off for the timeout. And Jesse was always the Mr. Like, you know, as soon as he didn't have the advantage, he would always be like, he'd go down on his knees and like, you know, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so uh, unconvincing watching Jesse Ventura plead for mercy from Vern Gagne. Yeah. He's like, how could this ever be? <laughs> So there's, unfortunately, there's a bit of a botch, especially because the way the camera is. So Tito's all fired up finally. He's got Jesse at his mercy, and Jesse's begging for mercy, and Tito won't have any of it. So he kicks him right in the face, except that he misses by about three or four inches, and the camera catches it. <laughs> so he has to kick him again, because it's just like, it's just so obvious that his foot was like nowhere near Jesse. So it's not it's not that great. Uh, and then Jesse regains the advantage, you know, he's dumping Tito to the floor, and Jeffy, Jesse's trying to cut him off from coming back into the ring. And then Tito gets up on the apron and Jesse comes to push him off again. So he gives him that big shoulder tackle and then he launches himself over the ropes like one of those slingshot, you know, splashes. But the referee has counted out Tito in this moment. So like the time that he's taking to like dive back into the ring, he's been counted out. And Jesse Ventura wins the match by count out. Well, looks like uh, we have a winner. And way to go, Jesse. Yeah, Jesse goes on. He grabs the belt. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Oh, I'd like to see that picture. Yeah, and we do. And this is the one thing, though. At least Tito gets the clarification this time that it does not change hands on a count out, you know, so at least he gets that. Still champion. And so Tito gets his belt back afterwards. And and yeah, he lays the belt down. And (laughs) it's really funny in between the two of them. And Jesse's like, thinks about it for a little bit and then he like actually dives for it he dives to grab the belt (laughs) and Tito just starts kicking him (laughs) and then Jesse like hits the bricks nice (laughs) okay so that's going to bring us to a title offense of Hulk Hogan versus Terry Funk. And I'm going to tell you, this is the most enjoyable thing I watched this week for sure. Like it's their match on Saturday Night event is really good, really enjoyable, but this match is just like just top notch. It's uh prism from the Philly. We unfortunately don't get it. There's no, there's no, nothing else attached to it. Like, so if there's some gold interviews out there with Cal Rudman, we, we don't have them. So I, I, no. it would just be so send great. Us, but. Send us your links. Post <laughs> your Cal Rudman. Yeah. I'm starting to realize as I'm looking that like, there's not as many out there as you would hope, right? Like, you, you know, you start, you find some at first, but now, now that I'm starting to look every time, I'm like, oh, it's not there. It's not there. So, um, who knows how many more we, how much more goodness we have, but it's out there. So. Somebody record it and stick it on the drive and give it to us. So, of note, the ring announcer, who looks like he's ready for the uh, 70s, like, um, you know, graduation ceremony or something. He's got this really weird tuxedo with the overdone, like, flowery shirt on and stuff like that. It's Mel Phillips, which is the ring, which is the attendant that Terry Funk beat up. Remember the guy that was like wearing his hat and like, so this is the poor guy. He's, he's uh, He's the ring announcer for this. And so he's going through this long introduction. And so you get Terry Funk and Jimmy Hart coming out, and of course they don't have any music. Uh, and then Hulk comes out to the Hulk theme. Na-na-na, na-na-na. So that's really great, him coming out. You know, he's he's uh, 
coming to the ring, red shirt. He's got those almost like the egg blue tights um, and boots that he has and stuff like that. And uh, so, for some reason, Funkatech smell. <laughs> you know, like right at that moment, as Hogan's getting up on the apron, Funk's on the other side, chasing the uh, ring announcer out and taking <laughs> swings at him. Poor guy, they must have been buddies. Yeah. So then Funk's back up on the apron arguing with fans about this, and then Hogan comes across the ring and just pounds him in the face and drops him on the apron. And I gotta tell you, like, the selling that Funk does in this match, it's just nonstop. Like, he is a pinball, and it's going to go on and on. I've never seen Hogan have so much offense, like, in a row. Like, just nonstop. Like, Terry Funk can't do anything. Like, it's so great. (laughs) (laughs) So, Funk's hat ends up in the ring. (laughs) You know, like, and Terry Funk's on the outside, and his cowboy hat is, like, in the inside of the ring. So, uh, (laughs) Hogan, in a little homage to Ric Flair, starts doing elbow drops on the hat. (laughs) Nice. Did I? Did you see or did I tell you about the time Terry Funk almost got kicked by a horse in the head? What? That sounds familiar, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, well, he's just they they decided to do a, a brawl in the barn. What? Well, they were at somebody's ranch and they were. Sorry, what bales. era? What era is this? Well, like, um, newer or like for him? It'll be probably at least ten years after this stuff. Yeah, yeah, okay. I feel. And like ECW uh, or something like that, or very likely, but it could have been WCW trying right. to be like ECW. Sure. But, Sounds like an ECW match, but anyway, yeah, and then there's the footage where he gets behind a, a horse or a mule or something like that, and the, the the beast gets a little spooked and, you know, does a back kick, and, like, it sort of, he takes it in the side, but, you know, if it had hit him in the head, like, God. Wow, yeah. Yikes. Wow. He, I mean, he knows, he's been around horses, like, I'm sure, and uh, knows the risk, but uh, it, was, it was a little uncomfortable for a second, like, geez, we don't want to see that. <laughs> So Funk gets in the ring now about this hat, and he's all pissed off. So he starts circling a bit like he's going to, like, lock up with Hogan. And then all of a sudden, he just, like, veers to, like, the complete opposite end of the of the ring. And there is a cameraman up on the apron, like, holding a handheld camera filming. And Terry Funk just takes this wild swing at him. Like, the guy ducks out of the way. Nice. <laughs> yeah, he's just, like, he's so distracted. He wants to fight everybody. He's not there to fight Hogan. He's there to fight the whole building. It's super funny. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> So, of course, he turns his back to Hogan. I was expecting Hogan to really nail him, but he didn't. But, yeah, Hulk Hogan on the next showdown, he spits at Funk. It's just totally out of place. It's like, you're not sure why he did. but And then, of course, Hogan gets the better of the exchange. And there's this huge clothesline into the corner. And Funk does this really great thing with his wobbly legs where he goes to stand up. And then he, like, no, he goes back down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's great. The old yeah. leg Funk. So there's just more Hogan dominance. He keeps hitting him and leads to Hulk uh, doing a drop down. And Funk, instead of bouncing off the ropes, he just, like, halfway spills over the ropes. Like, it's the weirdest thing in the world. He doesn't bounce off the ropes. He just, like, he almost falls out of the ring. And he catches himself. Like, and he bounces himself and gets him back up. And then he slowly turns around. And, of course, Hogan nails him and he goes over the top rope. So that was really funny. And there's another... There's another really great one where, like, they do a, uh, Terry Funk does a drop down, but then Hogan just runs back and forth, stepping on him the entire way, like, over and over again, like, maybe six times off the ropes. Nice. And Terry Funk's like, ah, like, you know, like, making all this noise, selling it in the ring. It's pretty funny. And then Terry Funk goes to the announce desk, and he gets the branding iron, and he starts trying to hit Monsoon. <laughs> Jeez. 
Wow. So Monsoon stands up trying to be all threatening, you know, big Monsoon. And uh, <laughs> so that was like pretty great. And so we're like eight and a half minutes in and like Terry Funk hasn't hit Hogan once. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> getting his ass kicked the whole time. <laughs> so finally he lands some blows and Hogan gets tied up in the ropes. So, he, you know, Funk's finally starting to get some stuff going. He t- takes some tape off his wrist. He's choking him. And, but he hits this really weak pile driver for two. And then he gets Hogan in a sleeper. And that's probably the best part of the match for him there. And of course, Hogan gets to like, you know, the, th- the third time dropping, but no, no, no. And Hogan starts coming back up and he rams him into the corner, gets out of it. And he does a clothesline and a big boot. And Terry basically partially spills outside. And then Hogan suplexes him in. But Jimmy Hart grabs Hogan's legs. Ah. So Funk comes down on top of him for the pin, the one, two, three. But Hogan's legs on the rope. So the referee ah. realizes that it's not, you know, it's not what he thinks it is. So, of course, Funk is arguing with the ref, like, you know, majorly about this. And, uh, okay, so, yeah, so Hogan's basically going after Jimmy Hart uh, for, you know, grabbing his leg and stuff like that once he once he gets out of this position. And uh, this is where uh, Terry Funk comes in with a timekeeper bell. Kind of looks like the Randy Savage timekeeper bell he used on Steamboat and hits him in the back of the head with it. Oh, dear. And then he gets his hands on the branding iron, and he brands Hogan on the chest. Oh, yes, with that, um, what? Talcum powder? Yeah, baby powder or something. <laughs> like, oh, those white marks. The, uh, the ash. Of- so at that point, Hogan rolls out of the ring, grabs a chair, and he comes back in and Funk takes off. And uh, we get the, uh, you know, we get that sweet piano starts playing as Hogan's like mm-hmm. doing the pose with the uh, the brand on his chest. Nice. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And yeah, there's even a little kid comes in the ring and Hogan puts the belt on him and all this stuff. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, I just, I couldn't believe how much... I was just laughing the entire time because, like, if he had, like, a bag of tricks, he pulled out every single one for this match. (laughs) Nice. Well, Terry Funk in the early 90s will go and uh, chase Ric Flair for his title. At late 80s. 89. Right. Okay, well, 89, nearly early 90s. Yeah. Close enough. He's announcing by the time you get to 90, yeah, like he... There was an opportunity, I think, they could have kept him as a wrestler for a bit because they were sort of lacking in top wrestlers. But yeah, I don't know if his injuries or, or what it was. But yeah, he got away from that for a bit. But he never stopped wrestling. <laughs> he always kept coming back. Yeah, that might have been his last um, world title um, contendership. I mean, the ECW, you can, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm discounting that because, you know, I don't think it quite, not for me, it never earned the same NWA, AWA, WWF. Yeah. Status in my mind, ECW. So there's a tag match we want to get to, but I think we want to set this tag match up with an, another match you watched, Jeff, and that was, uh, I believe, Mr. Tony Atlas versus Randy Savage. Yeah, well, Savage is hard to get your hands on. That's the storyline of this match. And um, what's good fun about this part is in part of the chase, Savage climbs up under the, under the top rope and flexes for the crowd, you know. <laughs> but when Tony Atlas flexes, it's just like this guy yeah. looks like he just came from a bodybuilding magazine. Like he looks great. Um, and there's a really impressive gorilla Ooh, press. Yeah. Like when Tony Atlas gorilla presses you, you know, <laughs> it looks like he's just, you know, pushing gra- you to the sky. Yeah. He's just getting a box of Kleenex off the top shelf, you know, and it's just effortless. And he puts Savage on the top rope and sets him down gently. And, uh, <laughs> Humiliating the macho man. Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. Lord Alfred. <laughs> so what else was notable about that match? Um, I just didn't know it existed. So it was good to come across that. And it, it was very soon after the Halloween episode. 
there wasn't really any um, storyline per se. Yeah. You know, just uh, in or like the. However, there was a uh, pretty botchy finish um, to emphasize the trajectory of the various wrestlers. Savage gets a pin, one, two, three, but it's hard to sell a guy like Savage knocking out a guy like Tony Atlas, right. who's just so much bigger and stronger. So it's a sort of a pulling the tights situation, but normally when you pull a guy's tights, you know, you're pulling somewhere below his tailbone, you know, a couple of inches below the waistline, but you know, around and yeah, and that way he can't uh, kick out or whatever. You roll him up that way and grab his tights. Yeah. It seemed like Savage was trying to go for that, but somebody got turned around. He grabbed the tights, you know, below his belly button, you know, <laughs> and uh, he, Savage was outside the ring. and Almost like on top, not behind kind of yeah, thing. So no le- less leverage. Sort of like a power slam and then rolled through, but like a very unconvincing roll through by right. Atlas, you know, because Savage has just got power slammed. How is he running the show, you know? Yeah, like but he when, held on or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, Savage kind of like, by the time he's grabbing, his like hands are in the, you know, the no-no area. And so he's like, okay, instead he grabs a bum. <laughs> and it just like really looked weird, but... um it was enough to give Savage a three count so that Atlas is like, hey, what happened? He grabbed the tights. He cheated. It was like, well, you know, and he scurries out of there as quickly as he can. <laughs> um, but yeah, botchy finish, that's for sure. Okay, so that's going to take us to this tag team match. So the tag match is Macho Man and Atlas again, but now Tony Atlas is paired with the Intercontinental Champion, Tito Santana. Arriba! <laughs> yeah. Um, you know that... Uh, Ken told me his, couldn't help but tell me his Tito story. Did he tell you when he was chatting? He said that, uh, well, I'll just tell this to yeah, sure, our, yeah. our fans, our dozens, dozens of fans. Thank you. <laughs> um, so Tito would wrestle here in Winnipeg. And one of our good buddies, Ken, we've talked about how we used to watch wrestling at his house. He was close enough one time. He might have even been with you, but let me just finish anyway. And just in case you know the story, you can correct me after. I do. <laughs> uh, of course you do. Anyway, so Tito's getting pummeled in the corner and uh, Kenny manages to, manages to, you know, above the rest of the crowd din, Kenny manages to say, Arriba! Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Tito's on his butt and, like, say his one arm, both arms are over the lowest rope. Yeah. And Tito gives him a real sneaky little thumbs up. Like he opens, almost opens his eyes a little bit and gives him a little... <laughs> yeah. So shout out to Kenny. We yeah. hope you're still listening. And there's your Tito story. There we go. That was our front row. Uh, you know, that was the... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it looks I didn't get too many corrections there. Very nice. All right. So, yes, Tito, our beloved Tito. And he's got the Intercontinental Championship. But again, they're downplaying Tito's significance altogether because I'll just run through the uh, stats The stats here. It's our beloved... Okay, I guess I didn't finish quite. So we have Macho Man teaming with Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> These guys are a terrific tag team. I just love yeah. this. Versus Tony Atlas and Intercontinental Champion, although you wouldn't know it, Tito Santana. So, alas... No Cal Rudman, even though we are in our beloved Philadelphia spectrum. Um, And I'm now noticed for the first time on the mat, you've got this prism, you know, the rainbow colors. Yeah, yeah. It says spectrum across the middle and everything. Right. So that's cool. Now we can recognize when we're in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I don't know if I told you this, but Pennsylvania is named after a guy named William Penn, who was a famous Quaker. 
And these Quakers were pacifists, like Quakers' oats. Quakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The thing about these Quakers is that they had some kind of religious thing where they would go into their like, and they'd start like quaking and trembling. <laughs> okay. You know, because there's yeah. all kinds of interesting things that happens and when people get all churched up. So okay. <laughs> that's that's their shtick in the ring. They get all quaking and churched up. Anyway, Quakers' oats, William Penn, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so we don't get any interviews too bad because we, you know, but more on Cal Rudman later. We also don't get any music and uh, the champion enters before, you know, it's not for the intercontinental title, but still Tito's already in the ring. So Again, we just yeah. keep seeing it over and over again. T- Tito comes out first and, and I'm going to say it. He's being playing second fiddle to Tony Atlas. Like they made yeah. a bigger deal about Mr. USA and that's you right. know, recent junior something champion. You junior, know, like yeah, Mr. that's Universe. right. I said to you, the, the announcer, Mel Phillips, who's going to have a bad night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's another ring announcer when Howard Finkel isn't doing it, our, our fuddy-duddy white guy. We got Mel Phillips in a sort of a what looks now pretty dated Oh, yeah, know, that's what I said, I said earlier. I he said did, that it yeah. was the, like, he looked like he was in the 70s prom or something. Yeah, yeah for sure. But tonight, he gets his ass handed to him by Funk because of uh, Corey I think the order well. of the cor- in the order of the card. I think the Funk match happens later, but uh, in the order of our show, we actually talked about it first. So okay. you know, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesse and Savage uh, enter second, and you made the point. Yeah, we we wish that Tito was getting more love. We have all the love for Tito. But I didn't know his book was called Don't Call Me Chico. Did you tell me that? <laughs> yeah, I did that. Oh, yeah, wow. I said that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. now I wonder if he really, really hates that. Oh, he does because it's like sort of a derogatory term. So he said he would come to the arena and then all these people were going, Chico, Chico. And then he'd go up to them and say, like, you know, you're calling me like, I think it's like something kind of reference oh. like a little boy. Like it's sort of like you're not a man. You know, like it's, I, I totally apologize if I'm off on right. what, the, what, the, what the insult is. But yeah, he, it's not a, you know, it's it's not a. Like he he accepts the fact that it, it's kind of helped make him more famous. That okay. like Jesse by like you know being rude to him kind of brought, helped his character. But did, did you know. he did he harbor some animosity towards Jesse at the time? No, he for, seems to be quite. Um, no, he seems to be pretty pretty like positive about Jesse. I've seen a couple things he's okay. talked about Jesse about, and so it wasn't, I've never heard him say anything negative. That would be pretty uncharacteristic for the. Uh, I mean, nowadays you look at Jesse; he's such a hippie, you know, with his Jimi Hendrix tie dye <laughs> shirt. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like he was also a union kind of guy, so he believed in you know cooperation among the wrestlers, so they wouldn't right. get exploited. So he's my kind of guy. I'll say Jesse Ventura. Anyway, so I'm glad to hear that he wasn't actually, you know, using a racial racial slur. No, he just he Tito. said it was like unfortunate that like his fans thought that they were uh-huh. like, you know, okay, and he would explain it to them, but yeah. they just didn't really get it. Yeah, well, I do know this: like ito at the end of a word means little. Yeah. Like bur- uh, a burro is a donkey. Burrito yeah. means little donkey. Right. Okay. And Carlo, you know, and Carlito. So you call a little a little guy named Carlo. You call him Carlito. That's ah, that means like okay. it's like Bill and Billy. Oh, there's a little Billy or right. Jeffy. You know, I don't yeah, I don't yeah. like Jeffy. You know. <laughs> and so Ito means small. If you add it at the end of a, a lat or a Spanish word, I believe. Right. Um, speaking of words, there's a cool sign at ringside that said, uh, Macho Man should change his name to Psycho Man. <laughs> yeah, it was hard to make what that make it out. And it was like, yeah. I think they were holding it sideways. I guess one yeah, side well, of the sign was one orientation and the other side of the sign was like the other yeah. way. Yeah. So we were seeing the back of the van. He's holding up something else to the wrestler. <laughs> presumably, you stink, Macho Man or something. <laughs> something. Yeah. Savage threatens Mel Phillips. Uh, yeah, I didn't get to that. So <laughs> yeah, Mel's right. going to get beat up later. But in the meantime, Ma- uh, Macho Man <laughs> sticks his finger in his face. We had to listen twice to hear, 
Oh, casualty. <laughs> and sure enough, he does wind up a casualty. Um, so, you know, uh, Monsoon is commenting on how Elizabeth is being treated roughly by Savage. And this is the arc, you know, that is going to play out over several WrestleManias. And, yeah. you know, you know, enjoy the ride, everybody. So it's, <laughs> we, we boo Savage because he's a brute and a beast towards Elizabeth. And he dances that line. It's a little discomforting. Anyway, you just have to go with the show. You know, we watch movies where guys bully women all the time. Exactly. So it, yeah. it, this is how you create villains and heroes and the rest. One of the things I noted was that the host keeps referring to Jesse and I believe must have worked with them because he's you know, he says, you know, <laughs> why man up? He's a nice guy, loves life. I mean, he just <laughs> keeps commenting on how he enjoys Jesse. He seems to be a Jesse apologist. <laughs> That's right. We start with Tito and Randy. And we get a couple of waist locks and reversals until uh, Randy seeks the safety of the ropes, as he often does. It's <laughs> one of his great moves. And then Tito, you know, is, is with him. Don't, don't let go. So now Savage is uh, waiting for the ref to break it up. And Tito muscles his hair. <laughs> Gives him a good one. Yeah. I remember Jake had the best burn about that. He said, macho man, tomorrow when they're dry cleaning your hair. You wonder what happened, and I've got your belt. We'll get to that. My, you yeah, know, yeah. possibly my favorite match. Yeah. So, Randy Savage, you know, is flustered, and Jesse calls him over and fixes his hair, That's pattens right. it down, straightens it all out, and then Monsoon is like, "Oh, he must be, uh, you know, uh, extra sensitive. You know, making up for a lack of his own." That's right. Jesse yeah. famously Jesse the hairdresser Ventura. That's right. We. uh have Savage try to run Tito headfirst into the buckles. We get the, you know, foot on the second turnbuckle to block it and reversal. So Savage takes the headbutt. Monsoon is talking about how Randy Savage's finisher is the best in the business. Yeah, yeah, putting it over. Nobody's, yeah, nobody's gotten up from that. (laughs) I wish he would tell WrestleMania 7 that. (laughs) Anyway, we get a collar and elbow, wrist lock, um, a reversal. We get a tag. Atlas comes in and puts a headlock on Savage, and like, boy, does Atlas look like yeah, just yeah. A, a superhero plus. Like, this would be an exaggeration if you saw it in a comic book, the way this guy looks. Right. He is so muscular, and I think legit, uh, he may have won that universe competition they were talking about. He looks like he yeah, could win. Yeah, at some win. point, not that year. It yeah. would have been earlier in his career, I think, when he was right. even more ripped, because, mm-hmm. you know, he's, yeah, he's not, he doesn't have that toning that you would have for a bodybuilding competition but he's got the base Mm -hmm. so he is something to look at what a marvel anyway a headlock from him looks like you're gonna like (laughs) squeeze that head right off at first jesse's reaching for the tag you know like to get in there and and take the pressure off savage and at first atlas is like no 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 cutting off your you know partner and cutting the (laughs) cutting the ring in half they say not on the tag and then he has a change of heart atlas grabs savage's hand and marches over with Savage and <laughs> under his arm to Ventura, holds Savage's hand out and does the deliberate, almost like, why do you keep slapping yourself? Yeah. Why do you keep slapping yourself? <laughs> Tags him in for him, you know? Tags, like, yeah. And at that exact same time, too, right when that was happening, Savage was reaching up going for a handful of hair. But Tony Atlas keeps his hair very neat and tidy and very trim, and it's like there's nothing to grab. That's right. <laughs> so now we have uh, the two bodies, Jesse, the yeah. body Ventura, versus Tony Atlas, who... You know, I, I can't even really think of a better physique in wrestling. They, they, you know, they always have these different muscle man looks, but I don't know. Somehow, 
Tony Atlas, you know, he gets the billing as Mr. Universe and all that stuff. Or Mr. Yeah, USA. USA. They call him Mr. USA. <laughs> so they do an overhead wrist lock, the two big men. And naturally, you know, Jesse gets overpowered because he's the heel and heels are always weaker. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Even, you know. He's got fake muscles. <laughs> that's right. Doesn't matter. You know, it could be Greg Gagne that's versus, right. you know, heel Road Warrior Animal. And it'll just like throw him down like, wow, yeah, the impressive right. strength of Gagne. <laughs> um, they uh, do some rope runnings, you know, leapfrogs and uh, runovers where one guy hits the mat. The commentators are talking about the bench press numbers of Tony That's Atlas. That's right, yeah. And another tough guy, Ted Arsini. Ted Arsini. Ah, thank you. Uh, then somebody's yelling from the crowd, and I swear, <laughs> you know, it's like Iago from the Aladdin movie, Gilbert yeah, Godfrey. Right. Why are you always hitting him? Why don't you give him a clean break? Just, I'm looking around. I cannot. It's pretty funny. So the heels are doing great. They're getting lots of tags, and they've got Atlas under control, and they're keeping uh, Tito out of the ring. We've got uh, an eye rake, you know, to, to keep advantage for our bad guys. And Macho Man taunts Tito while Jesse's working him over in, in the heel <laughs> corner. At one point, it's really cool because uh, Tito goes onto the floor. Yeah, and comes right, yeah. you know comes around to the the, the bad guy territory. Chase Savage away from getting the extra shots in on Tony. That's right. Macho Man climbs right up to the top turnbuckle. You know <laughs> yeah. where he does. You know not only his finishing flying able to the middle of the ring, but he also clobbers guys outside of the ring with a double axe that's handle right. from the top. And it's that's just the you know one of his greatest offensive maneuvers is how he can fly, <laughs> you know, how he can drop down from that huge height. Most of the wrestlers are too beefy to do that, and it's a big risk for them. Yeah. Macho Man does it. Every match. That's you know? right, yeah. So that's, and then there's just some great camera work. You're over Tito's shoulder while Macho Man's on the top rope, and, you know, Tito's obviously keeping his distance. It's just, yeah, yeah it's iconic. So they've been working Tony's eyes and beating him pretty good. So at one point, Tony's looking for the tag in the heel corner. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's going to the wrong corner. Yeah, yeah Blind Atlas <laughs> is in the wrong part of town. And then the commentator gets a pretty good one in, is like, He'll get tagged, all right. And Macho Man puts him in a headlock and then pops him in the nose from outside of the ring from the apron. It's great. And yeah, they work really well together. Savage and Ventura. I love these guys as yeah. a tag team. Yeah, uh, there's lots doing... of. We heard more about the talking about them being a tag team than ever getting to see them be a tag team. So this is like this sort of like dream realization of these matches that. Jesse and Savage could have together as teammates. The commentator has a strange interpretation of uh, Savage's famous move. He calls it a <laughs> double karate chop, like <laughs> Savage lands with his forearms yeah, on his opponent. Axe smash, and no, it's a karate yeah. chop. That's very strange. Savage goes from one pin, and Jesse's able to lean over from his corner and just put his head on the back of Macho Man's, sorry, his hand on Macho Man's head for that extra <laughs> leverage. <laughs> to, you know, it seems like it's, what's that going to do except for like give Macho Man a neck ache? Like, but anyway, it's funny. Yeah. So Bear, again, got Atlas away from his partner, Tito, and uh, they're working really well together. Yeah, sorry, I, I, you know, I just thought about that. That would be a great kind of finish to a match where, like, a ref's in a position where you can't quite see, and then you have, like, the, the tag team partner maybe, like, stick his foot through the rope somehow and, like, put his foot in the back, the center of his, of his team, you know, of his partner's back and, like, yeah. actually pressure it down, and then that's why the guy can't kick out. That'd be great. Sounds like a horseman move. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Or as uh, Alfred Hayes would call them, the bastards! <laughs> 
commentator calls Jesse Ventura the glorious one. You know, he plays in a band. He does everything. He, <laughs> yeah. he models. He sings. He, he's in <laughs> movies, which is true, actually. You got it. Except for maybe the modeling, but the guy, too, it was a Hollywood star. That was great. I think he must have loved that he did better in Hollywood than Hogan. And he's That's always right. talking yeah, to him yeah. like, let me tell you, Hollywood. You know? oh, yeah, Jesse, he uh, was in way better movies than Hogan. Yep. Uh, there was something that we kind of got a little confused because of the camera cuts. We couldn't quite see. It looked like that there was a tag that uh, normally would not be allowed because you distract the ref. Like to keep the heat going and to yeah. build the hot tag, you know, you've got to have a couple fake tags. Yeah. You know, and this was always, a, you know, key storyline for a tag. For match. sure. And something happens, but Tito just comes in without <laughs> and the, any... the ref just lazy and just doesn't do yeah. anything about it and just, okay. <laughs> so this is the hot tag, but it's lukewarm because they, you know, it should have been delayed. Yeah. You can tell even by the way they're filming it, it's like supposed to not work out. It's supposed to, yeah. the ref's supposed to come in and chase Tito out, but yeah. he just lets him keep going. Yeah. Anyway, Tito comes in and clears house. He takes on both heels, probably throws some shots outside of the ring. And actually, Tito lands his finisher. Yeah. I love Tito's finisher, the yeah. flying forearm. It looks great. And he lands it on Savage. And not only that, they protect his finisher because Jesse has to come in to break up the pain That's instead right. of Savage kicking out, which yeah. would be, you know, even more disrespect heaped unnecessarily on Tito. That's right. We don't want that. Tito also uses a figure four as a uh, finisher, but you don't have the announcers sitting there going, oh my God, that said nobody. <laughs> you know, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're all about the future. That's right. So there's a... Tony comes in the ring because of Jesse, you know, to answer. And uh, all four guys are schmozzing, but Atlas gets uh, knocked outside. Probably, I'm sure, a eye poke or a cheat. You know, it's kind of weird. He just schmozzing. gets overpowered. He comes in and gives Jesse a couple of shots, and then Jesse just gives him one shot, and then he just falls out of the ring. And I, I think he's playing up the idea that he was really beaten up before he tagged Tito, so it's like he hasn't recovered yet, which is why Jesse sort of wins the altercation so easily. Right. Savage lands a beautiful knee to the back, you know, between the shoulder blades on Tito, and weakens him, puts Tito on the defensive and on yeah. the mat. And and uh, so Savage is on the offense. The ref is telling Savage to leave Tito alone because Tito is up against the ropes, the ropes getting pummeled. Yeah. yeah, getting pummeled. So he's like, you know, let him alone. And and um, Savage kind of pushes the ref, but doesn't hit him at first. It's almost more backwards. Like he yeah. backs into him and knocks him over. And then again, the camera angle, it could have been a reverse elbow, yeah, you know, maybe. but either way, he bumps the ref enough that the ref calls for the bell. And the heels lose. Yeah. And Monsoon is so close. This is before they had, I guess, a homogenous setup uh, or even possibly. Um, well, anyway, Monsoon's close enough that <laughs> Piper could pick up his coffee and have a sip, you know, if he was there. I think that happened in another match. Like, So they're right by ringside. And Monsoon starts lecturing the bad guys <laughs> on right. why they lost. You, you can't touch the referee. Can't right. do that. Can't do that. <laughs> Macho man. Comes over and threatens the uh, another guy, uh, not right. Monsoon, because, you know, Monsoon always The other stands, announcer, the yeah. announcer that was loving Jesse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I think we have enjoyed that guy's work before. He's been on the other Prism cards, and I just didn't catch his name, and yeah. I'm forgetting. He's Jack something. Or and you know what? I, I believe you can see Cal Redman at Mingside. Oh, damn it. Yeah, he's like just uh, in civilian clothes, but yeah, you know yeah. he was a big player, so he was there to watch the show because yeah. he loves this stuff. He probably, there probably wasn't backstage interviews for these shows; they right. just aren't on these video files. He doesn't look like he's there to work. Oh, okay. I unless see. he's there, like as promoter, yeah, to work. But he's not there um, interviewing anybody. But so I either saw, yeah, it must have been this one because I was going to say 
earlier, but this is Philly, so yeah. I believe we saw Rudman at ringside. Or um, I also like to Grella says to uh, to Macho Man, he's like, "Ask your partner, ask Jesse. He knows the rules. He knows you can't touch the ref." <laughs> That's right. Jesse's tattling. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess it's, it's already over. The match is yeah, done. Yeah. But like, you can't do your partner. He did it. He did it. And because <laughs> Jesse comes over, what? What's happened? We had him beat. We had him beat. That's when the other guy says, to "Be fair to Jesse. He didn't see it. He was on the outside." So he's yeah. So they do constantly some apologizing for Jesse. <laughs> wonderful complaining from the heels about yeah. how they got disqualified and and the the final bizarre comment is like what an upset says uh, the other commentator yeah which is odd because you have on one team the current number two babyface, the intercontinental champion yeah and uh you know super muscular mr universe partner Versus Macho Man, who at this point is still uh, Rookie of the Year sort of thing. <laughs> and uh, Jesse, who's a commentator, retired from wrestling. So yeah, how are on, they the on, on his way to retiring, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's not... This is great to have him in the ring right now, but this is the exception, not the rule. So yeah. how they're <laughs> the favorite team. You gotta explain that one to me. I'll, yeah. take, I'll put some money on that. <laughs> anyway, uh, lots of fun. Great match. And we love uh, Spectrum TV. Yeah, and on we go to the next match. Another match I just wanted to highlight. I didn't watch it, but just to, just to, just to say the names and move on. But uh, December fifteenth, we got Hillbilly Jim and Elmer versus the Hart Foundation. Right, no dead weight cousins weighing them down. <laughs> That's right. Okay, now this one's really neat. Now, when I was going through the cards, I came across a dark match early on in this this November. These cards, and it was. The tag team champions of the Dream Team, who really actually aren't really referred to as the Dream Team much at this point. So in fairness to the WWF accidentally calling Hogan and Andre that, uh, I think uh, that moniker wasn't quite there yet. Um, but they're defending, they're defending their titles against Shiki Baby and Volkov. Heel versus heel. Wow. I had no idea this existed. I love heel versus heel matches. Yeah. So here we are, roughly two months later, let's say. And here's the match. I found the video. So yeah, I got like, you know, almost seven minutes worth of video. And it's it's really quite neat. But it forces I, I guess let me ask you this. Who do you think out of those two teams at that time would be the babyface against each oh, other? Right. Who would get cheered? Yeah. Oh, I'm that wild. Who would the crowd side with at that point? Um, I'm thinking they uh they probably side with the Dream Team. You got it. They're like full-on hot baby faces. It's the Dream Team. I, I thought they were the Rock and Roll Express. I didn't know. You know, like the crowd wow. is going nuts for them. Like, That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I mean, and you see what Beefcake does when he's a good guy. He totally just immediately is that guy, like in a way. Like he's not doing the silly haircut stuff, but I mean, he's he's doing a lot of the motions and the reactions and, the you know, the way he'd fire up and stuff. Valentine's, it's not as, it's not as natural for him. But you do notice him changing his style. He's wrestling faster. Like he's always plodding, and they always made you know, especially in the nineties, you'd always make the joke that oh, it takes him forty minutes to get warmed up or whatever. You right. know, like meanwhile, he's never wrestled a match more than fifteen minutes. But anyways, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's it's really neat to watch these two teams. And you got Blassie on the outside. You got Johnny Valiant on the outside. Unfortunately, those two didn't. Uh, they should have. I guess Blassie's not ready to take any bumps. But maybe they could have had Blassie hit uh, Valiant with a cane or something. That would have yeah. been good. <laughs> Man, this does sound like an awesome. I'm gonna have to watch this one. Yeah. So they, uh, you know, so basically, when you come in, Sheik and Volkov have the advantage, and uh, they keep it for the, you know, the first half for sure. And you definitely right away realize the Dream Team is like, you know, the wrestling is baby faces. By the way, the crowd's reacting and. Briefcake's really doing a great job of selling Sheiky's boot. So, like, you know, Volkov rams his face into the boot in the corner with Sheik on the outside, and that, uh, you know, curled toe is like, you know, 
like a lead pipe hitting him in the face or something. And he's nice. really so he's really selling it. And uh, once Valentine gets in, he quickly loses the advantage as well. And he's taking beatings in the corner and he does like a nice flare flop <laughs> out of the corner. <laughs> it's really great. And uh, she gets an abdominal stretch, which of course gives Monsoon the opportunity to do what he always does. What does he always say when someone has an abdominal stretch? Um, he says, uh, a submission maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> no, no he, he always complains that the person doesn't have that leg hooked, you know, like, you know, ah. they haven't tucked their leg behind the calf of the right. other one. So it's like, you're never going to get them that way. You know, ah. like, <laughs> right. I don't think we've ever seen anybody submit to an abdominal, exactly, abdominal yeah. stretch. You'd have to, someone would have to email us in and show us a clip this or something. could be it here. That's right. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> one of the neat things is after they get out of that position is, Sheik throws Valentine off the ropes and does a drop kick. I've never wow. seen Sheik do a drop kick. Yeah. It's hilarious. So yeah, uh, Greg lays the ha- you know the hammer on Nikolai Volkov and gets this tag to Brutus. He can- comes in hot but very quickly misses a second rope punch and hurts himself. And so the bad guys are getting in it again and Sheik finally does one of his nice side gut wrench suplex, which I love, and that sets up the camel clutch on Beefcake. So, like, Hogan, take notes on how to do a camel clutch, because I've seen what you did in the Dungeon of Doom uh, War Games match, and <laughs> that's not a camel clutch. Do, see what Sheiky does, and uh, that would be better. So, um, Valentine breaks that up, and basically from there, it just goes into, like, you know, uh, he gets a figure four, and Nikolai comes in right away and breaks that up, and then they just, you know, they start brawling the four of them, and the bell rings, and it's a double disqualification, and the champs are announced as still being the champs. And, uh, yeah, it's just this weird kind of, you know... Lost in time match. Wow, what an anomaly. I had yeah. no idea. I, I love that shit. That's cool. I want to watch that for sure. <laughs> wow, mayhem once again. All four men inside there. Big right hand by Brutus sends a big rushing down. The Sheik has gone out. Champions cleaning the house here. Okay, so to close out 1985, it's December 30th, Madison Square Garden. Hulk Hogan title defense against. Oh, yeah, Hulkamania is dead. I'm here to announce it to the world. Goodbye, 1985. <laughs> Goodbye, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> I heard him real bad. Dig it. <laughs> yeah, so we have more Macho Man. So he, uh, what to say about this match? I well, at first you got to give him, you got to give him the gorilla walk. You know, like him and Elizabeth coming out. That's big time. Like their outfit yeah. and in that view of the Madison Square Garden backstage. You know, them coming out together. Mm-hmm. You got the music. Looks great. Sounds great. Um, this is he hasn't got any gold yet. Macho Man has lots of gold in his future, but uh, so this is just man, so awesome. It's the uh, you know, it's the come before the storm. Yeah, I'm gonna take over this league and get all the gold. Yeah, as a singles wrestler, dang it. So, what to say about the match? Uh, There's something it, very important about the intro. Mm, let's see Seems now, figure it out. Um, well, the ho- Savage gets his music. He's got yep. Elizabeth. And um, then Hogan comes into Real American. Yeah. And. Uh, he's even wearing the red and yellow. Yeah, that I did notice because he bounces around a lot at this era. But this is kind of the look that he will finalize if you will yeah he doesn't a, he hasn't he hasn't done this the shredded shirt or anything yet but on the back you know the vented shirt but mm-hmm. otherwise it's very close so uh, we just watched it but what are you getting at no. this is the first time hulk hogan ever comes to the ring to real american ah okay 
Well, then uh, I hadn't realized that. Yeah, that's what the only else? thing I knew about the match going into it was, right. like, was that. Um, watching this match is great. You know, it, it makes you wonder why this wasn't WrestleMania 2. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that a bit before, and it could have been, yeah, it could have been, definitely he could have been the top contender for Hogan for the for that year. And, and we already just, we, we just watched Savage Steamboat, which will be WrestleMania 3. That could have been WrestleMania 2. <laughs> like Savage, right. could have rest either, Savage could have wrestled either Steamboat or Hogan at WrestleMania 2. Yeah. And it would have made more sense That's than right. what we got. Yep. Um, it's a great match. Uh, you know, Savage, you know, is such a master evader at yeah. this phase and hiding behind Elizabeth, you know, and we, uh, it's, it's quite similar to a match. I think we covered one. Was it last episode? Yes. Probably. Yes, definitely. I mean, there were some of the same spots, even the Hogan slamming his hand on the apron. Cause he's yeah. frustrated. That Elizabeth is in the way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, spot for spot. And so at one a point like the, the, the action itself, you know, I, I can't say I memorized what happened in the well, match. You know, what I noticed, just how, and you said it before, but just how fast Randy Savage is. You know, I wa- watching some of the modern wrestling, there's, you know, some fabulous, you know, aerialists, but I don't think any of them can get to the top rope as fast as he can. Like, there's a guy named uh, Pock who does this incredible, uh, I don't know, 450 spinny, you know, splashy thing, but it takes him like 40 seconds, I'm exaggerating, it takes him like 12 seconds to get on that rope, you know, like to balance himself and get ready and do his flip. And it's like, Savage is just like, he's up (laughs) and he's off. (laughs) Folds it into his, you know, everyday offense. Yeah. Coming off the top rope with the double axe handles. So he looks great. And um, notable about the match, unfortunately, uh, Hogan kicks out of Savage's finisher, so they're not protecting the yeah, big they could, elbow. Yeah, they could have given him the leg on the rope instead or something, or, you mm-hmm. know, or, or the miss. You know, like, I, I even prefer that, actually, just where, like, Hogan rolls out of the way, and he doesn't actually hit the move. <laughs> yep. And now let's see, what else happens that's notable in the match? One thing I like is, uh, you know, mid-match, maybe, let's say, Hogan's got Savage down and out on the outside, and he comes out to get Savage and Miss Elizabeth does her thing, but without Savage, you know, normally Savage goes and maneuvers and positions her in the way to like protect himself. And that's what everyone gets so mad about. But this time he's laying on the ground. He's not doing anything. And, and, and Elizabeth gets in the way of Hogan and like, you know, and he has to like look at the crowd. Like, what am I going to do? I can't, you know, it's, think- it's love. I tell you, she loves him. <laughs> and then gets the part and gets the part where Hogan picks her up by the arms. Like you said, yeah. in the other match and turns around and walks her and places her down gently. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so the match continues from there. And yeah, I think Savage gets several of the, those great high knees we've talked about to the back. He, you know, he keeps getting Hogan from behind yeah, in certain situations one. and, and, uh, lots of sledgehammers, you know, to the outside. But, um, I think really what ends up is important of note is somewhere along the line at the end of the match, Hogan gets split open and he's bleeding. Yeah. I think the match might even be over at that point. No, not quite. Not quite. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, it's, so the, uh... the ref gets clobbered by Hogan. Oh, okay. That would allow for Savage to go get the world title belt yeah. and attack Hogan jumping off the top rope to, to the, the outside, outside yeah. which is uh, he did in the last match as well. Yeah. But that was after the match. So if the referee's out, that means he can do it during the match. Yeah, that's right. And somewhere in there, either when Hogan went outside the ring or when he gets hit with the belt, which it almost didn't look like it was that part. It looks like he already was bleeding at that part. So then Savage gets back in the ring and there's this groggy ref and Savage like basically picks him up and grabs his arm and starts like, you know, puppeteering him to make him count. <laughs> yeah. And Savage is hell bent to win the match by count out. Yeah. And so 
He does. He does, yeah. Because Hogan's too clobbered. And uh, then Savage puts on the belt and parades around like he's the champion. Yeah. But uh, he gets, of course, caught out for his poor behavior. Savage, uh, Hogan gets back into the ring and... More. Well, Savage has the belt on. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's just so great. He's like... <laughs> yep. And he tries to pretend like he's all shocked that he's not the... Ch- like, when they announce that Hogan's still champion. But, yeah, you know. <laughs> that's what's, yeah, that's the silly part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's and, fun. Yeah, Hogan does eventually... Oh, yeah, Savage leaves the ring area with, with uh, Elizabeth over his shoulder. Like, he's carrying her, like, you know... Yeah, he's, and, look, he's headed back to the dressing room wearing the belt. Yeah, that's right. That's and then, when Hogan finally chases him down yeah, and... Hogan catches him. Brings him back into the ring. And then he carries Savage like Savage was carrying Elizabeth. Right, yeah. That's right. He, that's, that's a good turnabout. Yeah. And, and he does Hogan his, takes his belt back. Yeah, and his bloody pose down. <laughs> but yeah, who who would have thought the first time he ever used his most iconic music, he lost. Yep. Just like he lost to Jesse Ventura. He's a loser. That's a right. A loser, Riga. <laughs> okay. So that's going to roll us into the end of the first half. Um, and we'll come back. We'll figure out what we got to correct, what we got to expand on, and then we'll jump right into that water slide race, and we'll be there for the splashes, the fun, the chills, the spills. But before we get there, please listen to these few words about how you can follow us and find us on Patreon. Right, so there's a few ways you can follow us or get a hold of us. wanted to pass that along and make sure it's clear what to do. So if you have any stories, any thoughts, any feelings you want to pass along, please email us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. And of course, we really want people to go over to Patreon where they can eventually find episodes two and three of our Growing Up AWA will be there on Patreon. And to get there, you're going to have to type in patreon.com forward slash legendary wrestling obsession. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. And if you're having trouble or anyone's having trouble finding our podcast, send them over to legendarywrestlingobsession.podbean.com. And that's where you'll find our episodes. It's the quickest place they load. The fastest way to listen to us talk about wrestling. What he said. Welcome back to the second half. We're ready to get to the corrections, expansions, additions, deletions. Um, what else would we do maybe? I'm not sure. Observations. Observations, yes. <laughs> it's that time the re- of the show where we fix it. We fix the stuff we said wrong. I believe that was the Wrestling Observer was one of the magazines that had some credibility. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Of course. Okay. So one of the first things I looked at, and these, again, these aren't always corrections. They're just sort of like things we thought about after we watched, and it's kind of like... Where did Paul Orndorff's cast come from? 
and I tried to dig it up, and I didn't find a lot of information. I mean, clearly he's doing it as a retaliation to the tactics of Bob Orton, but there isn't a specific moment I could find written anywhere, any video of why he had it. I imagined at one point that maybe there was, like, an incident where, like, you know, maybe Piper Norton had attacked him and hurt his arm, and then this is, like, sort of his payback, but it seems like he literally just put it on, you know, as a way to bring a weapon. <laughs> he didn't want to show up to the gunfight with a knife. Right. Just not even the pretense of an excuse. Yeah, nothing. That's right. Yeah. Nothing else there for sure. So, yeah. Uh, if anybody knows why, you know, if there was more to the story of where Paul Underhoff got his cast from, you know, please let us know. Check out our email details and send that in. Remember, for a while there, he had the finger splint. Yeah, that was more legit. That was like an actual yeah, obvious injury. You could tell he stuff. was actually, yeah, protecting yeah. something. So I kind of looked and said, like, oh, geez, you know, a Jesse versus Tito match, that intercontinental title match. And, like, you know, they must have had some good matches in the AWA. And um, looking back, they they definitely had encounters. And I saw listings for different, you know, some tag team matches against each other, singles matches, um, kind of all over the place. And I did come across a very brief clip from a shoot interview. And uh, Tito basically was being interviewed, and the interviewer told Tito, he's like, Jesse puts you over, meaning Tito, as his favorite opponent, his favorite, the favorite person to wrestle, Jesse said, was Tito Santana. That's high praise. Yeah. Well, did, can you elaborate? What was it? Well, Tito, he asked Tito that, and Tito just said, like, you know, he just remembers fondly their matches because they would really, especially on house show matches where they had more time, they would really rile the crowd up. He says they would go about 10 minutes without touching each other where he would just constantly chase Jesse out of the ring and Jesse would constantly stall and get out. And he says the whole arena was ready to come in the ring and kill Jesse by the time they started actually wrestling. And then, you know, he says, like, we'd only have to wrestle for about five or six minutes after that because it was just, everyone was just cheering so loud and just for every punch, you know, every kick. Because Jesse just, you know, he just knows how to, and he he said he always was perfect at doing things so the ref couldn't see it. Like, he, he was a master of, like, making sure that the crowd saw that the ref couldn't see so that they could get extra angry over his cheating tactics. Well... We can't praise Jesse Ventura enough. Alas, I'd like to see him continue in the ring, and his contribution will be more consistent. He'll be commenting on uh, many of the pay-per-views in yeah. the future. Yeah, lots and, of the shows, uh, Saturday Night Events. Yeah, so we get, we get a lot of Jesse. We just don't get to see him fight as much as we'd like to. Right. So... In one of the sec- sections, we talked about Cousin uh, Junior taking off because maybe he got some of that sweet, sweet LJN money. And I thought, I better go check it out. And sure enough, there was definitely no Cousin Junior LJN. And in fact, my story of the video I saw, i got to you know back up on that one for a second. There was no official Uncle Elmer uh, toy either from the LJN line. But I did find come across... Custom Uncle Elmer LJNs. I've heard of this now. People, you know, in today's day and age, I guess with the way things have innovated, people have been able to create their own figures and they do them specifically to make them look like they're, you know, let's say the LJN series or the Hasbro series. So there is, you know, I can find easily information, you know, on Amazon to buy an Uncle Elmer and it definitely looks like the LJN style of toy, but he was never officially released. Very interesting. I only had the Macho Man LJN figure and it just they were large they were they were big and like i remember the first time i came across them when they first came out some family friends had a few and my mom you know knew obviously i was big into wrestling and you know i 
pretty much got what toys I wanted at Christmas or whatever. So she, of course, assumed that I was going to be hot and heavy for these LJNs. But I got to be honest, I wasn't. And the reason was is because they weren't posable and they most of them were in really awkward positions. They were sort of formed in, in a way that didn't make it, you know, they weren't suitable for wrestling. Macho Man is doing the double biceps, so he was really good at his, you know, hangman clothesline, <laughs> yeah. as long as you imagined his body was moving forward <laughs> and not off at an angle, but yeah, uh, yeah, you had two right angles to work with, but uh, he, um, it's true, there were way more possibilities with Masters of the Universe, but yes. they paled in comparison to the G.I. Joe. Yeah, so this wrestling. is what I'm getting at, is like, you know, my... My toy wrestling federation started off as like, you know, all my stuffed monkeys and teddy bears and things like that, right? <laughs> well, who's the champ? Oh, uh, well, there's, I had this like gorilla. <laughs> I, he was kind of non-distinct. He was kind of cool. He had like a vest and a hat. But really, the true uncrowned champion was the Monshishi because he, he had like this hard plastic head, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like soft the, body. And then he did the uh, the old stereotypical like undefeatable headbutt face so, smash. A lot of it, yeah. But his finisher actually, because he was holding a banana, was Tito's flying four. Arm. <laughs> with the banana? The yeah, that's right. Banana. He'd nail you in the face with the banana. Oh, Moshi, she, the most like, um, sort lovable. Of, yeah, like non aggressive toy. We'll, like, we'll, get, we'll get the uh, we'll get the theme song going on here so you can hear it. And, oh, uh, yeah. I love it. Uh, well, I at least had the dignity to wrestle with advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, there toys. you go. Yeah. Well, no, but wait a minute. I, I, I moved my way up, right? Ah. Like, I, you know, like that's how it started. Well, hey, I, I gotta bust your balls on that. Can yeah, I, I, I? For sure. It's absolutely. Like, it's, it's required. <laughs> yes. Monshishi was your champ. You're the, the people's champ was your Monshishi. Oh, I love and it. And Super well, Grover would take out a lot of people. Yeah, I had, I had well, you know, what was your uh, talent, your develop, your farm team was like Cabbage Patch Kids? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> NXT, Cabbage Patch. <laughs> so then you work your way up, right? So then, you're, then your wrestling toys become Star Wars figures. Fisher Price figures. I don't know if you ever saw the adventure set. These two guys, they totally looked like they had wrestling gear on. Oh, they were perfect. No. And they had they had the one straight arm with a fist and one slightly curved arm with oh. a slightly open hand. Oh, they were they were masterful for oh, like doing no. but like Jeff said, then the G.I. Joes. And that's what we're talking 1985. Christmas 1985, the G.I. Joe cartoon movie comes out. And I think that's when like you know, that's when my recollection of getting a lot of G.I. Joe to- toys for Christmas was 1985. So since we're talking Christmas 1985, it's a good time. So if people aren't familiar, those arms and legs could be bent and, and rotated and, you know. Articulation. Yes, and now you could so actually wrap your arm around for like a suplex and all this stuff. And so it, that was, you know, that was the top end of it. Even so the I, hands, right? Yes. Elbows bent and hands moved. The wrists moved slightly. Knees and, yeah. moved. It was crazy. You could do anything. Palm yeah. drivers. So I had some older brothers I've mentioned in other shows, and I remember them just getting so jealous of, like, my He-Man, G.I. Joe era. Like, my oldest brother, Chris, his his G.I. Joe was a Ken doll, you know, like, with some right. with some fatigues. We had a lot better. And, man, they were jealous because they were too old to play with them, but they just would look at me like, you little bastard. Like, oh, why do you get this? <laughs> Masters of the Universe, I was so lucky that when I first encountered them, my mom was like, go ahead, buy six. And I was like, oh my God, it was like not even my birthday. We would go down to Grand Forks where oh, wow, yeah. things are cheaper and also toys that, you know, hadn't seen in yes. Winnipeg. And when I first got a look at Masters of the Universe, He-Man 
and there was definitely this appeal of you know professional wrestling somewhere in my head <laughs> and i definitely used the masters of the universe action figures to wrestle each other he-man versus skeletor but then i also enjoyed because they had better points of articulation the toys that were officially licensed by dungeons and dragons wow but, yeah right, I, I think i had a couple of those but i don't remember well there was strongheart and war duke was this really uh, yeah. cool looking character who had chainmail on one half of his body so yes. one arm was dark blue as in you know this colored chain mail and one leg was dark blue but the others was just you know the 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 flesh was exposed he <laughs> and he had the glowing red eyes and this helm like there's my um helmet right. over there yes, in the yes. corner you know i went on to perform in improv shows in winnipeg that were based on dungeons and dragons and one time i had a helmet and i put glow sticks inside <laughs> them and one of my colleagues at one point we were so you know before the show it's dark backstage and yeah. there are corners and i scared the crap out of one of our guys one time because he just came around the corner really quickly <laughs> and i had the glowing red eyes and he just wasn't ready for me so he actually started back and was like oh oh shit man That's, he was surprised that was chad who you knew yeah, yeah, know yeah. and played with played ultimate with but uh the glow sticks looked really cool when they were in that yeah. helmet and I was influenced by War Duke and all those cool <laughs> and so my epic battles were between War Duke and Strongheart who was a paladin right and so he had plate mail he had plate mail and the plume the white feather you know kind of like sticking out of the top of his head but they were good for the wrestling moves too and then later they had a titan who was like about one and a half times as big as the paladin or even maybe wow. twice and yeah. then they had a, a goblin king so these were bigger and I had them wrestle as well and yeah yeah. Well, one of the figures that snuck its way in, and I'm forgetting the name of the movie, but is it was the '80s movie like Clash of the Champions, like uh, oh, yeah. Perseus and like you know Medusa and all that stuff? Like, right. Is that the right name for the movie though? Is that not well, Clash of the Titans? Clash of the Titans. Thank you. Clash of, course, of the Champions. Like, I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself. WCW <laughs> and, and JCP on Ted Turner's Rick station. Flair. That's right. So yeah, Clash of the Titans. I had uh, two Perseus. characters. I didn't have him actually. I had sort of secondary characters. I had the the, the main villain who sort of was a human had been turned into a half like kind of horse half yeah, devil. Yeah, I can't quite remember his name. We, so he was cool because he had one hoof and you could do yeah. the, the Hogan boot with that, you know, oh, and you just really right. take somebody out. But there was a guy who was kind of a secondary character in the movie. He's kind of a gladiator character. He's got the you know the, the helmet with the feathers on top, and I'm pretty sure he dies in the movie or whatever. But he kind of looks like he's quite muscular. His figure, so he was great. He was you know he he he'd get right in there and he'd wrestle. But I had the the you know as far as WDF licensed toys go, the only ones I had that I liked were the thumb wrestlers. Ah, that's funny. Yeah, they were awesome. It, like I didn't use them as thumb wrestlers the way they show on the stupid commercial. I didn't stick my thumb up their butt. Basically, like you know, <laughs> there's a hole in their back. But you get my point. But again, because they were rubbery and flexible, you right. could do anything. And they were in a good. They were in a good like athletic position. You know, they were you know kind of over hands. You know, arms bent a bit. You know, forward. They were you know. already prepped for the collar and yeah, elbow. Yeah, you could do you could do body slams and back that's throws. The first thing you do slams. is collar collar and elbow is a classic move. <laughs> you know, you put your you put your one hand on the guy back of the guy's neck and your other hand kind of on the crook of his elbow while yep. he does the same thing to you. The collar and elbow lock up. That's right. So there we go. That's the that's the you know the story of why I didn't really bother with the LJNs. Yeah, if they had been like three years earlier, we might have been more into it, but they weren't good for wrestling, and I they were big. I was still super into toys. It was just, it was just that, yeah, I just didn't like the way they were um, sculpted. 
You know, they just weren't you too know, stiff. Not I didn't good want to just whack them together. You know, I've seen yeah. videos of kids. That's how they played with them. You know, they bash them together. It's like, no, thanks. They were indestructible, but poorly suited for play wrestling. <laughs> My play wrestling had to be very realistic. Very, you know, hell specific. yeah. <laughs> Especially two out of three falls, you know, like people get their finishers in. That was, those are the best <laughs> matches. Okay. I think we've geeked out on our toys enough here, but hopefully uh, for people listening, they have a similar experience and uh, <laughs> let us know about your wrestling federation. <laughs> <laughs> the Monchichi Banana Smash. <laughs> so I just wanted to point back to last episode, the, the Halloween episode, that when Lou Obano takes the pie in the face, I count that as our third cake smash. <laughs> you know, like the first two episodes ended on a, a you know, someone falling into a cake. And yeah. the third one, nobody fell into a cake, but Albano got cake, you know, pie put in his face. So I'm going to yeah. say that counts. They've kept their tradition alive for the first right. three main events, three, you know, cakes in the face. Yeah, well, Heenan coats his face in Hershey's syrup. <laughs> That's right. So it's just a, you know, the pumpkin dump. It's a very uh, <laughs> desserts getting slopped everywhere. Okay. And lastly, as we're going to wrap this up here, we've got to come back to Cal. Cal Rudman, our man. Killer Cal. I, I, didn't, I didn't do him justice. I, overst- I understated his you know, credentials. So his real name is Solomon, but he goes by Cal. And he was a disc jockey. And he was actually most famous for being the publisher of a, a magazine, a music industry magazine called Friday Morning Quarterback. And he's much more influential than either Jeff or I could ever really realize. Forbes called him one of the major influences in the leisure and entertainment industry. And it's noted that Cal Rudman helped McMahon gain contacts in the entertainment world during the national expansion eras. And he was there from 77 to 89 with Prism and WWF. And during that rock and roll and rock and wrestling, you know, era, like he was a big, apparently a big help to Vince McMahon. Well, he's real charming. (laughs) We love his style and his enthusiasm. He just enjoys interviewing people so much <laughs> that he, he he just has a hard time. The wrestlers have a hard time keeping a straight face. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, eventually at some point we'll be going backwards in time, you know, like some older matches and older WWF stuff, and hopefully that'll help us revisit more and more with Killer Cow. All right, it's time to get to the show. Let's hit those NBC chimes and get on with Saturday night's main event. And now we take you back to a frosty Winnipeg January in 1986, where the sun is shining in Florida, (laughs) is what it says on the screen. And uh, it's Saturday night's main event. And um, they're listening to this now. There are two rock songs playing. There's one drum beat, and you can hear another drum beat in the background. So get your act together, WWF. Go and pay for the originals, get the songs, and then you're off my shit list. In the meantime, I demand justice. So it opens on... um, Yeah, actually, you know what the real song was supposed to be in there? No. Dire Straits, Walk of Life. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. That's what I must be hearing in the background. Probably, yeah. Gotta be. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you can hear both. And like, I don't like to go to a restaurant and hear the music for the restaurant and then the kitchen's rocking out to their, you know, <laughs> that's just, you know, I want you guys to live your best life and don't spit in my food, but, yeah. uh, you know, you're going to have to put one earbud in or something, you know, cause I don't want to hear it. Two songs at once is just, you know, give me a break. I don't want to hear two songs at once. Okay. Thank you. Walk of life. Good. All right. And we open up poolside and uh mean gene is in his swim tux and he's got the mic of course and hogan's got his gear on too he's he's not in the ring gear but they've got some vitamin pill bottles out and all this some fruit and the smoothie (laughs) and then what i can what surprises me is that 
Hogan appears to drop whole eggs, shell and all, into the blender. <laughs> That's right. Like, what the hell was this? I think and he did he, that too on like a segment on TNT with you know where he he was did a similar idea. He's making a fruit drink or whatever for uh, Gene, and yeah, throws the eggs in whole. Right, makes a reference to calcium. Yeah. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Anyway, <laughs> this is his patented Python protein drink, Mean Gene, and you'd better not tell Terry Funk the recipe. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, Mean Gene, he has a sip, and he starts to hulk up. He starts to gene up, and uh, he that's starts right. to, you know, feel his biceps. <laughs> he's but, funny shaking, and then he starts flexing. And, yeah. <laughs> but Hogan's not convinced. He's nope. like, hmm, I think you better have some more there, Gene. <laughs> <You know? laughs> now, this does, before we cut away to the next part, I have to say that, to my dismay, these are the iconic Macho Man shades that Hogan is wearing. Oh, okay, yeah. And later, we will see that Macho Man is not wearing that style. Mm. And it's a Swatch brand, sort of Alpine style, which for about you know four or five years, many years, they become synonymous with Macho Man. Yeah. And he goes on to lots of different crazy sunglasses, you know, his looks, but... It was a lot about the sunglasses and the early going. Even the T-shirts got kind of, it's all on the pair of this That's right, yeah. specific shape. So Coco Beware also wears this, you know, specific kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> pair of sunglasses. But looks like Hogan, he's wearing them. And before Macho Man, destroying my <laughs> worldview. I can't take this. Anyway, so we cut to the hillbillies now. Yes. And we, we, but we see them through... Binoculars. You know, binoculars, that <laughs> yeah, classic. Yeah. Even though when you look through binoculars, you only see one circle, you know? That's you right, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The figure eight screen. Yeah, the so TV. the screen is giving you the double, like as if you're seeing out of each eye, each, each of them, and these hibbillies floating in inner tubes, and uh, so you can hear the voices of Roddy Piper and Jesse Ventura, and when the camera switches to them, they're surrounded by a bevy of beauties, and they're being, I, I believe they're getting suntan lotion applied to them or something. Nine, like the, I counted oh, nine. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, is seen in some cultures as a mythic number because nine is the, the most powerful number oh. until you get to two digits. I see. Yeah. So the most, you, you know, basically some places you'll get nine statues oh. or nine of this. And it's a way of showing like I am powerful. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly what they said, but it's something along the lines of, look at those hillbillies, you know, like, and they're just complaining about them and they know that they got the match coming up. And cousin Mud Pie. Cousin Mud Pie. We, we better switch a room, whoever he is, Cousin That's Mud right. Pie. <laughs> <laughs> One hillbilly's gone back to the hills. <laughs> so, yeah, they're just, uh, it's very short. And this is something I noted was that, you know, last episode, I felt like they had started to move towards the opening that we were familiar with, which is Quick Beats. Uh, several interviews highlighting most of the people on the card, sometimes both sides of the feud. You know, maybe the, the last match gets left out or something. But here we are. We're back to just two little interview segments, Hogan and Gene, and then basically Roddy and Jesse looking at the hillbillies. And then oh, yeah, it, wait, you missed a sick burn. Oh, yeah, what is yeah, it? Well, as soon as we cut from, you know, the hillbillies having a soak to yeah. uh, the, you know our heels, they're like... There they are, taking their yearly bath. <laughs> that's nice, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. You know, there's only one thing that's worrying me. What? Worry? What's to worry about? After tonight, Humpy the Humpback Whale's going to be out of the job. <laughs> so, yeah, it gets, you know, we only get to two interview segments and then into the, you know, music intro and all that stuff. And, you know, I just... 
kind of feel like it's, I'm like, huh, I'm confused. I thought you guys figured something out last episode, and now we're back to this, you know, shorter one. But anyways, it's pretty funny. It's pretty iconic. I, I almost, like, would have confused this intro with the opening of the next Saturday's main event, because the next Saturday main event also, to me, felt like it was a suntime Florida kind of thing. But, you know, we'll figure that out when we get there. So they're going to start playing the music, the uh, the second intro music instead of animation, but, and we're going to get our way into the card. Well, the first thing we have is McMahon interviews Jesse before our opening match. Yeah. And Jesse's shirtless because he's ready to get that's into right. the ring. And <laughs> uh, multicolored cape on and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. That's right. He's got crazy tights on. We'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> Uh, like your grandmother's shawl or, or, or robe or something. They're yeah. pink with white flowers. They look terrible, but they're so outrageous. They're great for Jesse. Anyway, so Vince McMahon is saying, oh, I'm looking forward to not having to listen to your biased commentary. Your, your, your lopsided commentary. Your lopsided. Well, that's what you think, McMahon. If you think I'm letting you get away with a match, calling it, you know, <laughs> you're the one who's lopsided. <laughs> anyway, so he gets Bobby Heenan. Yeah, we get the, like essentially the debut of something we're going to see down the road which is so amazing, which is Bobby Heenan on commentary. And, it, you know, I remember when I first started reviewing these years ago, like, you know, I was like, oh, that's right. Bobby Heenan got a little segment, you know, being a commentator. You know, it's so great. Yep. Well, he's very witty. And then we move on to Gene with Roddy and Ace. Yep. And, of course, you know, Piper's always innocent. They started it. <laughs> Even though he interrupts their wedding yeah, that's right. <laughs> and starts yeah. throwing down the insults. But unfortunately, we have to listen to those insults one more time. Yeah, yeah. So we we do get, they don't spring for the bagpipers anymore. We just hear no, it. We but, don't but see But Jesse him. walks in in the middle of their interview. It's kind of neat. Like, you know, he's, he's interviewing uh, Roddy and, and Orton, and then Jesse kind of comes into the frame. And like you said, Piper's like, we didn't double team him. And they showed the double team. And you can literally see Piper and Orton double teaming Cousin Junior on the outside. But like, you know, <laughs> as he's saying that. So it's just so great that it's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's completely nucky. He's never quite telling the truth, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's always got cover. Yeah. Um, right, so we don't have the Emerald Society or any bagpipers, but we get to hear the bagpipe music, and the uh, yeah. heels make their way to the ring, where we have three hillbillies, but I think we've already made it clear that Cousin Junior is gone, and a guy named Cousin Lucas instead. He's kind of, he's, uh, you know, not in the same category as Hillbilly no. Jim or Uncle Elmer. He's just a regular-looking wrestler, and he doesn't have much of a physique. Oh, he's, just he's kind of weird-looking, because they a, go to Gene with them, and he just kind of has this blank stare you know he doesn't have anything to say something kind of looks a little bit off with them a little bit wrong you know yeah. <laughs> we just... have to listen to the uh in yeah about uh cousin luke that yeah um and we've never seen him before so we don't really give a crap about this guy and yeah he doesn't dance either I, that's one way to endear yourself to me <laughs> do it. and uh actually uh i i went back and had um i watched hillbilly jim's induction to the hall of fame right yeah and this was for me the first chance to see all the vignettes that they did in 1984 of hillbilly jim did you watch any of this stuff you i saw it? that stuff years ago oh, so yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so i didn't know that hogan pulled him out of the crowd oh yeah yeah and the boots and, yeah you know right i mean he pretty much was already in costume he yeah. just had like an undershirt on under his under overalls <laughs> yeah yeah so that he wasn't shirtless so to speak but then they showed you know a montage of like a training session where he picks up and starts giving the bear hug to Captain Lou I think yeah, and was right, like yeah. easy he'll be easy easy <laughs> and he's telling his grandma about his first win and all this stuff and 
And uh, Hillbilly used to do oh, the dancing, so I yeah. like the dancing Hillbillies. That's what I want. <laughs> and Luke doesn't dance, so get <laughs> Screw it. Screw him. <laughs> yeah. However, I did notice for the first time, maybe I just wasn't paying attention, that Uncle Elmer has got the cowbell. And I've got a fever for the cowbell. Piper and Orton are going to take the cowbell to the head and one, two, three for the win. For the the, the hillbillies. Uh, Christopher Walken, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, we don't actually, I think, get to see the cowbell in action. No, no. Nobody no. gets their bell rung. So, yeah, Jesse really sticks out. You've got blue trunks on Piper and Orton. And then Jesse in his <laughs> pink and white floral tights. He's just loads of fun. And uh, Jesse starts the match with any other uh, comments about the uh, pre-match? No, no, not really. No, We covered it? Yeah. So uh, Jesse starts out with Elmer and, you know, he's got to rake the eyes. You know? <laughs> I love how he does it because he like, he points to the ref like, hey, ref, check him. And then like, as they both are slightly distracted, Jesse steps in with the eye rake. The eye rake, there you go. <laughs> and we get some punching and some choking. We uh, have... You know, Elmer's just so huge that, uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's not a lot of wrestling holds going on with a guy that size. That's right, you yeah. can't, you know, really, some moves you just can't do, you know, I would <laughs> imagine. Right. Uh, although Scott Steiner was pretty amazing. He could Frankenstein just about anybody, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, point being that uh, you get some choking and punching and Jesse versus Elmer is the first one. So let's see, I, I kind of got a bit of a uh, layout of how the match actually goes one thing that was impressive is that you remember the way that ricky steamboat used to choke savage and lift him right up and yeah, the yeah, office? yeah 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 so uh elmer does that to jesse just completely right. suspends him in the air well yeah. you know by his throat essentially but you know you gotta it can be done i've done it with the actors myself yeah, actually yeah. where i'm the choker because you know <laughs> if i know a guy's like 130 pounds i'll be like okay just jump up and you know put your put your legs around my sort of waist and i'll you know stick my yeah. arms out and done that at the dinner theater that was yeah, fun yeah. So uh, uh, Jesse gets run into Hillbilly's boot. Hillbilly Jim sticks his boot out from the apron, and yeah. Jesse gets run into that. And then we get Hillbilly Jim tagged in. Uh, Jesse does a really funny kind of like spin and drop looking for the That's, tag. That was uh, the one. Like, Where I, am I? Yeah, like after he hits the after boot, and he's like just does, he's falling down, reaching out like yeah. as if there's a tag to be made, but he's like nowhere near yeah. anybody. <laughs> really far. That's a good one. That's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> So eventually he does get to tag in Roddy, and now uh, Luke gets into the ring. Yeah. So Roddy's the old, like, well, let's shake hands. You know, no hard <laughs> feelings. No hard feelings. And Luke looks at the crowd. He knows enough to, you know, play yeah. the role a bit. Luke. Cousin Luke reaches out, reaches out to shake Rowdy's hand and kicks him in the gut. Yeah, so and, he, and he's barefoot like like Junior was, so he's got the yeah. the overalls and the barefoot wrestling going. Of course, Vince McMahon approves of this cheating and Bobby Heenan complains of Jesse was right you are biased <laughs> he's like well he knew that uh, that uh, Roddy would do it to him so right. he just got the, the drop on him <laughs> so um, Roddy uh, gets Ace into the ring pretty soon and Roddy spits at Luke uh, and Luke Seems a bit confused in there a little bit, you know, like he doesn't seek the tag when, you know, yeah, he doesn't know how to play the hot tag game either. Right. You know, um, at one point when he he's just kind of watching things and uh, when he should be probably trying to go head towards his uh, teammates. Yeah. So the bad guys can stop him. He's just kind of watching the bad guys climb in the ring. Next guy (laughs) starts fighting him. And just sort of you can tell he's, you know, it's not that smooth. 
Yeah. So, you know, uh, Piper is like slapping Luke in the face. <laughs> I think Ace comes in with our Paul Orndorff elbow where That's they right. come to yeah. the top and does like kind of a bionic. Both guys are still standing. Yeah. So now they are trying to build the hot tag. You know, now Luke is, realizes he's supposed to be wanting to get out of the ring. And, you know, <laughs> we're trying to build some heat. Hillbilly Jim gets in the ring and a Piper finally gets to square off against Elmer. Cause really yeah, that's was, where the heat was. Yeah. Exactly. And the crowd responds. Yes. Because it was Piper who interrupted Uncle Elmer's wedding with all the insults that we've heard over and over and over yeah. again. Finally get his comeuppance. Yeah. So that's good fun. And uh, it's sort of not too long before Piper's in a bear hug and Elmer's a <laughs> yeah, massive yeah, he's, man. He's kind of no-selling Elmer's offense, but he does a really good job at one point of like, he lets Elmer block his punch super clean. And that's finally when he takes like one of the right hands finally actually seems to stagger Roddy. And then, like you said, I, I think a second after that, he's he's up in the bear hug and Piper's really selling the bear hug. He's like, yeah. arms one, out. <laughs> one thing I think is super funny is that Piper... You know, when he most wrestlers will stomp the mat when they land a punch so that you get a percussive sound, you yeah. know, and it helps with the illusion. Uh, or some guys like Tajiri would slap his thigh when he would kick a guy and you get this crazy sounding impact uh, from him slapping his thigh, you know, yeah. but it was really it worked really well. Tajiri's kicks were insane. They oh, look yeah. so cool. Piper, he stomps the mat when he pokes your eyes. That's right. You know, or rakes your face. I think this is just a face rake, a straight down, like <laughs> yeah. from forehead to chin. This was one of these rakes. But he's like, boom, on the mat. <laughs> you know, as if there's some kind of percussive sound. So that's always funny, his Piper's face rake. And then all six get in and hell breaks loose. The uh, heels clear the ring once all the hillbillies are in there. And then Piper's like, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> he tries to summon the troops, which is handy. We yeah. get to the commercial. When we come back in, all six are brawling again. Yeah, yeah. Bobby is busting Vince on his bias. So uh, Piper and Hillbilly Jim, uh, there's a headbutt. Hillbilly Jim is a little clumsy. He can be, yeah. Yeah. Luke gets tagged in, and Piper does a great, look at him. And they come in to attack him, like just the kind of the crazy roar before, you know, uh, getting, uh, you know, losing the advantage pretty quickly. But Piper is just great yeah, in his yeah, vocalizations. Yeah. That's a great one. And he gets a sleeper. Roddy will get a sleeper on cousin luke and cousin luke is struggling with that and then ace comes in to keep jim occupied so yeah. they, they get busy and then jesse and elmer tangle up so they're busy <laughs> it doesn't go well for jesse <laughs> no yeah he gets uh bopped luke manages to flip piper over his uh over his shoulder and on and piper's on his back on the mat and then luke backs up but ace hits him with the cast in the back yeah, of the head yeah. The, then, it's it's well timed where the ref gets distracted. So there's a one moment where there's a you know Orton you know he's free to come in with his shot and it's not seen. Yep. And then Piper puts the sleeper back on. That's right. Yeah. And he picks up the arm once, picks it up twice, picks yeah. it up three times, and it's a win yeah. for the heels, McMahon. <laughs> and I think during that entire time, Jesse's getting punched in the face by Elmer in the corner. Like Elmer's just beating him up in the corner the whole time. <laughs> Sacrificing for the team. That's right. <laughs> so it was great fun. And yep. uh, then after the match, Jesse actually gets to come and cut a promo. And Bobby's talking about how, actually it was McMahon who says, maybe you and Heenan are going to form a tag team. 
strange, you know, like yeah, yeah, suggesting yeah. that Bobby Heenan, after his commentating debut, is going to get into the ring with Jesse. Instead, Jesse's like, I don't know, McMahon. I think Heenan did pretty well, and maybe you are going to be in the unemployment line. That's right. Yeah. Threatening the boss. You gotta love it. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> so from there, they send us out for outdoor fun, summer fun, and we get this shot of like this giant water slide, and they take all these different angles of it to show you the vast scope of it and how high it is and how long it is and everything fun like that. Fun Mountain. That's what That's we right. had in, around Winnipeg. We went to a place called Fun Mountain. That's right. There you go. Um, so we get up there, and it's uh, Mean Jeans up there with JYD and Jimmy Hart, and this is a follow-up, and they show us the footage of dog branding Jimmy Hart at the previous Saturday Night's Main event and somehow this is Jimmy Hart's revenge he's gonna win a water slide race (laughs) I may not be able to wrestle junkyard dog in the ring but here I can prove I'm the better man I'm the better man yeah exactly so he's just you know it's and one thing I found was off is the music is too loud Um, when they're interviewing Jimmy Hart it's hard to hear him but his voice is so piercing that you can make it out when dogs talk and he talks low so I couldn't make out anything that he was saying I listened to it twice and I was like I have no idea what he's saying to me Gene, like you know, so yeah, he's got this interesting way of like, talking real, real low down. Yeah, exactly. You need to get yeah. real close to the mic. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they they uh, they have the race and they open the gate and it's just very obvious that like Jimmy Hart just does not start going when Dog goes and then he, he's also sitting up. So you know, anyone knows friction, like he's not going to be going as fast as like you know he's not he's not as aerodynamic. And then so once Dog has a nice good lead, then Jimmy Hart spins around to his stomach and head first and starts flying down, but you know loses the race of course and he's ah he's splashing around in the water and you know calling how everything's unfair and Jesse's on commentary in the background you know this is cheating there's something wrong here and there's something. <laughs> We got to get to the bottom of this. (laughs) Yeah. So it's kind of ridiculous. And uh, you spin over to Jesse and Terry Funk are near a pool. And there's, I think, some women swimming in the pool in the background or whatever. And and, uh, Jesse holds up some sort of- They use those nine women in every shot. That's right. Yeah, they're they're busy. (laughs) (laughs) So he holds up some sort of like aquatic footwear. looks like socks almost, but like, you know, whatever. And says uh, there was a friction problem, I guess, trying to say that Jimmy Hart had these shoes on. And that's why he, he didn't go down the slide as fast. But- um, basically, Jesse says to Funk, like, you know, hey, you're not a, you're not a, be- you don't seem like a beach guy. What are you doing here? And then Terry Funk's like saying he needs to get a good tan because when he beats Hulk Hogan, he's going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. <laughs> right. Because Hogan did actually yeah. appear. Yeah. April of 1985. And to this day, Hulk Hogan is the only professional wrestler who's ever appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Ah. Yeah. Wow. Everyone jealous. That's right. And so... Uh, Jesse at one point says, well, Terry, I, I don't, I don't know if they're here. <laughs> That's when Terry Funk said, they better be here. And he's like, That's I'll brand them. <laughs> yeah. He's great. Yeah. Love Terry Funk. <laughs> yeah. So, um, from there they go to a Grilla Monsoon special report and it shows a match from Denver between Terry Funk and Hulk Hogan. And you see the very end of it. Hogan's got the advantage, drops the leg, has the cover. He's going to, you know, obviously win the match. And Jimmy Hart comes up on the apron with the megaphone and the branding iron. And the ref goes over and Hogan goes over. And, of course, this allows Terry Funk to pick up the Brandon iron. And if, if they don't actually explain it, but from what I could tell, he gives Hogan a nice whack in the face when he turns around with the branding iron and the ref doesn't see it. And Hogan falls out of the ropes onto the apron and is actually counted out of the match. So Terry Funk wins by count out in this footage. 
and then is dragged back. They show Jimmy and Terry dragging Hogan back to the middle of the ring, and then from there, Terry Funk brands him, you know, and we saw, obviously, in the first half, we talked about another, you know, another match where he got branded, so several house shows, I guess, around the country, we're getting to see Terry Funk, one way or the other, brand Hogan. The baby powder branding iron. That's right, yeah. So, you know, uh, that's going to bring us to this main event, this world title match, title defense of Hulk Hogan, and... So <laughs> the the match the funny thing too is that clip ends with Funk beating up Dave Hebner. He's like he's beating up the ref at the end of the at the end of the clip, which always kind of gets a you know gets me gets me laughing. And so now we're gonna go to an interview with Mean Gene and Hulk Hogan, and he's gonna bring out rawr, 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 Junkyard Dog. So he's bringing out some backup. He's bringing out some you know he doesn't want this stuff to happen again with Jimmy Hart's interference. So he's bringing out the dog. I think this is uh, four straight. Saturday night main events in a row that Junkyard Dog has been in every Yeah, episode. Dog is, you know, like we've talked about a little bit in some other episodes and some even in the bonus section, which wouldn't have aired yet. But, you know, Junkyard Dog held a very high position on the babyface side of the roster. He sort of had the ceiling above him. He never really got anywhere. He never really had the great moments. He's only got a couple things we can point to. Um, you know, he didn't lose a lot of matches, but he also was never really put in a position to be the type of star that he was in Mid-South. But they definitely used his stardom and his you know, his fame, you know, quite well in those first couple of years of the rock and wrestling connection and stuff. And he was, yeah, he was front and center. He's in the cartoon. He's on Saturday's main events. He's, you know, he's, he's a big player. Um, it just doesn't really ever come full circle for him as far as like wrestling results and him being really having important, important matches. Stuff happens on the house shows, but just maybe not as much on TV. So yeah, out they come to the ring and Hogan's wearing the red uh, shirt with the yellow Hulk, Hulk, uh, whatever I can't remember what it says. I think it says Hulkamania on it, and he's got the blue tights and the blue boots, and those are sort of that egg blue, that lighter blue trunks. Trunks, yeah, the trunks and the boots, yeah, the same, yeah. the matching color, yeah. And they're coming out, of course, on the episode to Real American, but I'm gonna have to assume by the dates and things based on when we saw stuff that they would be coming out to the Hulk theme. That would be the music that should be playing there. That's my deduction. Someone can point that out to me. I'm going to teach myself to play that on piano. That's right. <laughs> so right before the match can even start, Dog like runs, goes around, grabs Jimmy Hart, and forces him to sit down in a chair in the corner. He's like, you know, you sit here and don't move, and you know, threatens him. And of course, Jesse Ventura is getting really upset. And we're going to hear at least six or seven times throughout the match where Jesse Ventura quotes Jimmy Hart's weight. And he's constantly fluctuating on how much he weighs. It's usually somewhere between 100 and 125 pounds, depending on <laughs> the time of the match. Right. Well, I've uh, weighed myself and had a four and a half pound discrepancy in a single day. It's crazy how that can happen. Wish... Jimmy's having them minute by minute. <laughs> yes. Really sweating out there. That's right. So... Um, it's really funny, uh, you know, this match is, because we've, we've watched these other matches, we've covered these other matches, there's some really familiar things in this match, so they, they obviously, they, you know, the purpose of, part of the purpose of going on these house show tours is to sort of, like, work things out and kind of come up with the best, and we'll see through this match a couple of, like, repeat, like, the, my favorite spots from the, the match we reviewed earlier, where they're gonna, you know, they're gonna happen again. So the match starts really quickly, where they try to do, Kogan tries to whip Terry Funk into the corner and they do this weird quadruple reversal so that they both end up in the corner without anyone actually taking any impact and then Hogan whips them across the other side and gives them this huge clothesline which Terry Funk then you know plays dead and falls through the ropes to the outside it's like this great bump it's like it's really really good and um so then uh after that you know they 
we we set up a couple of other really familiar spots. So Hogan does the uh, the drop down. So we see the Terry Funk falling over the top rope again, you know, like an almost falling out of the ring and turning around, of course, to get clotheslined by Hogan and go over the top rope. And uh, when he makes his way back into the ring, he tries the drop down. And that's where we get that spot where Hogan runs back and forth on top by stepping on Terry Funk over and over again. And, uh, you know, he's he's just... Uh, he can't stand it. Uh, you know, he's he's getting he's losing he's losing bad here. Same thing as we've seen in these other matches. Hogan's just kind of dominating him. And if Funk does get some shots in, Hogan's pretty quick to like turn it around. And there's a really funny spot where like JYD goes around to Jimmy Hart to make sure he sits down again. And Jimmy Hart's like, oh no, no, no. And then as soon as Dog starts to walk away, Jimmy Hart jumps up out of his chair with his fist cocked like he's gonna punch JYD from behind and the dog looks behind and then Jimmy Hart sits down again, like, oh no, no. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> So, you know, at some point, like, he, uh, after Hogan has run over top of him multiple times, he spills out of the ring onto the timekeeper's table, and it spills over, and, like, so he's knocked over the timekeeper, and there's papers flying, <laughs> and Jimmy Hart's, like, you can hear him on the megaphone, it's really funny, and that's when Terry Funk starts throwing a couple of chairs in the ring, and Hogan picks one up and sits in it, and, you know, invites him to come back in, and, again, he's just getting his ass kicked, he gets thrown into the corner, he does the Flair Patterson bump, Funk, he does the big spin in the corner, and it hits the ground, and then Hogan gives him, like, a back suplex, and finally, like, Funk's able to use a couple of headbutts and a low blow to gain an advantage on Hogan. And But at this point, he tries to go to the top rope, but Hogan's crawling along and starts shaking those ropes. <laughs> and so he gets he gets Funk to drop on the top rope, you know, and hurt his junk. And then he immediately follows that up while he's sensitive with an atomic drop, which, you know, Funk sells even more because he's just been nailed on the ropes. So it's pretty funny. And, of course, you know, at that point, Jimmy Hart's able to distract Hogan a little bit by grabbing his leg and uh, Hogan goes outside the ring and chases him under the ring and dogs over there and Funk uses this time to like unwrap the, the wrist tape so that when Hogan comes back in he can sneak attack him and he's choking him and he's got like the ref hasn't seen it so now he's got the tape around his neck but he's got the arm around his throat and Jesse's con you know complimenting him on how well he's hiding all this cheating <laughs> it's pretty good Some good down home yeah. cheating so he gets rid of the tape and he delivers this time a good pile driver because we saw a pretty weak pile driver in a previous match and Hogan does a very weak kick out you know he doesn't it's not the big huge kick out and hulk up it's just a very he barely gets out and but once terry funk tries to continue on the offense eventually hulk does start to hulk up and he does start to you know come back and uh he does a big boot which knocks terry funk to the outside and jimmy hart is trying to interfere a bit so junkyard job for some reason jumps up on the apron distracting the ref so when hogan goes to suplex terry funk into the inside Jimmy Hart's able to slam him in the stomach with the Brandon iron. It's not a very good shot, but you know, hey, it's an it's an iron rod, so you can pretend it hurts him. And a similar thing, Funk gets the cover, but Hogan's foot is on the rope. So it looks like he's about to get the three count, but he doesn't. So Terry Funk is bitterly complaining to the ref. He has him in the corner, and that's when Dog comes over and gives J Jimmy Hart this really nice headbutt. And sends Jimmy Hart, Hart to the floor. And Hogan's laying in wait. He's got he's up now. He's he's hanging onto the rope. And and Funk's in the corner yelling at the ref, yelling at the ref, shaking him, and he turns around just perfect timing to take this massive clothesline and gets pinned. One, two, three. And there you go. We get the you know a title defense. And I love it because again, this is that like it's not to script. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the boot, the leg drop, the pin. The match ended a different way. 
and uh, it was really enjoyable. And, and, Fun, and Funk's not done yet because so he attacks the ref as soon as the match is over. <laughs> and he starts throwing chairs in the ring again. And they go to commercial break. And when they come back, it's the funniest scene. It's t- t- Terry Funk dragging Jimmy Hart to the back. And it's this weird angle sort of like looking at, you know, at Funk from behind. And just you can see Jimmy Hart's hands and, you know, his head down, just his hair. And he's being dragged along. And uh, Gene's in the ring with Hogan. And uh, Hogan says, why don't you drag off that dead manager of yours? <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> and then they, uh, they, he, he gives, Gene gives Junkyard Dog some props for, uh, you know, his work at ringside. And Junkyard Dog makes some kind of deputy dog comment <laughs> about how he, he sees everything. And, uh, and there you go. And from there, we're going to go to a flashback of George the Animal Steel. Hurry, Buck, being set up by the champion off the rope. The big boot. Uh-oh. All right, now Jimmy Hart's on the apron. And look, Jesse, in his right hand, the branding iron. What do you expect, McMahon? Jimmy Hart always carries the branding iron. That's nothing new. Ultra setting up Terry Funk. Jimmy Hart on the apron again. Oh, he nails him. Oh, no, don't cover him. Don't beat him this way, too. The foot on the bottom rope says Hulk Hogan. Oh, I can't believe the referee saved him. Whoa, look at that. The junkyard dog has just assaulted Jimmy Hart outside the ring, McMahon. What do you have to say to that? So I got to say, really... I wasn't crazy about Macho Man versus George Steele at the time, but oh, that's for sure. What... I mean, in a previous episode, we kind of made fun of it without having looked at it again. <laughs> yeah, so it's a a chance for redemption, and uh, they are gonna go with this for a while. So maybe it'll be more fun now than it was then. Anyway, so we start with a flashback, and the very first match on the very first Saturday Night's main event was, of course, the U.S. Express Plus. <laughs> against the heels of the foreigners and the animal. That's right. So George Steele was a heel at the time, but Nikolai uh, Volkov and Sheik turned on Steele in that first match. And so basically he be, you know, became a face, and Lou Albano began to manage him. And again. Uh, again, this time both of them are good guys. That's right. So we flash back to what must... I didn't see it at the time. A psychologist hooks up George Steele to some big helmet with electrodes, and it looks like a 1950s science fiction film. And (laughs) and they make the... the, And then in a very sort of strange accent, but intelligible voice, as in something's happened to George, he's become sensible and literate. That's right. And he says, how now, brown cow? Where usually he's just like... You, Elizabeth. <laughs> so, uh, but then there's more zap sounds and too much. Zzz, <laughs> yeah, and George uh, reverts to his animal. He yeah. yells and knocks the helmets off and runs. Yeah, but I do get a real kick out of how Albano reacts. And it's like, why you quack you? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny there's a Cypress Hill song where uh, peekaboo you fuck you my buddy's, yeah. it's like well it's all gangster rap but yeah, I, yeah, still, yeah. I just like that you lousy you why you thug you you <laughs> yeah um, Bano had a shtick he would always go to all the time he'd say the same things over and over again in every interview but he would like you know there's a different this doctor's different but he always referred to Dr. Rodney Papufnik like which is just some you know made up name like that ah. he thought was funny to say over and over again and, and this guy was apparently I think he was Dr. Zip or something like that. I didn't quite catch it when we were watching ah. it there a second ago. But uh, Well, we may or may not get to it, but Albano did a Christmas bit as well, yeah. even though we're like at the pool and we're, everybody's <laughs> got suntan lotion on where he played Santa Claus. Right. <laughs> uh, 
okay, so back to the flashback. So we we see the face turn for Steel, and then we see him with the psychologist and the brain helmet, and then another part that was on a previous Saturday Night's Main event where uh, the Boston Zoo, I think they I think they said Boston, where Mean Gene finds Jerry yeah, Steel. Yeah, which 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 is not yeah. It's not where were they important. were? And then they uh, so we got one two three, and then I think they cut to. George Steele, and that's the, that's the basically when they he George goes back into the bushes at the end of that segment, but it's also saying he's ready to come back to the ring now. He's his yeah. old self living in the wild. Yeah, so we go to the turn, the doctor, the zoo, and now a mini water slide, <laughs> and he comes down this you know ten foot water slide, and and then grabs on a rocket rubber ducky and splashes in the ankle deep water while Mean Gene's talking to Albano and the nine beautiful women are around. <laughs> Got to get make the use of that rental money on those women. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the nothing special. Is he ready? And you know Albano with his just sort of belligerence, you know, yeah. a good guy or a bad guy, and. So that's that, and yeah. George Steele insightfully comments, "Ducky." <laughs> and so, then we, yeah, no, they just not only just that. Then from there, they throw it to Jesse and uh, with Macho Man and Elizabeth. Yeah, and again, we're at this resort type place, and they are actually above a swimming pool, like that's a right. good ten or twelve feet, a diving platform. Yeah, a diving yeah. platform. Um, without the actual diving board, That's just, right. you know, uh, anyway, and Jesse's asking if Macho Man's concerned about Savage, and he says, why should I be, and, you know, really cool, and just go on so yeah, forth. Yeah. You get, there's no shortage of my Macho Man impersonation, so I'll keep it organic, and Elizabeth looks worried because she's on the edge of this platform, and <laughs> Macho Man's not really concerned about the match. He says, my priority is teaching Elizabeth how to swim, yeah. <laughs> and Jesse said, well, aren't you going to give her a couple of lessons? He goes, sure, here comes lesson number one. And he just throws her in. <laughs> and she shrieks and splashes about. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you really want to see Savage get his ass kicked after he throws Elizabeth into the water. And he's just such a <laughs> jerk to her. Uh, everybody hate. At this point, I wasn't a Savage fan. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Because you know, why I would mean, you be? He's, try- he's trying his 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 best to yeah. make you hate him. Of course. But I was 13. So yeah. I was following my my script, you know. <laughs> And that leads into, uh, so that's the, the, you know, previously taped because, you know, presumably yeah, they wrestle at night. So yeah. we're uh, in the arena now. And I just love the sequined robe slash cape that, you know, style that Savage has at this point in his career. It's my favorite look of his. Uh, I'm not into the cowboy looks and the and the, the z- complete psychedelic zaniness of his later outfits. Not Not my favorite. This is my favorite. So he looks fantastic. <laughs> He's got red trunks. Of course, he wears all different colors. Yeah. But uh, tonight they're red. And uh, there must be a plant in the audience or something because uh, Macho Man stops on his way to the ring and starts talking to somebody. And Vince says, oh, he, he wants to show somebody his robe or flex for somebody. And a young, youngish woman approaches, but then it cuts to Elizabeth, who's already holding open the ropes for a macho man. Right, yes. And she's waiting for him, and she's sitting on the second rope and holding up the top rope. Yeah, it's almost like maybe they got to the ring, and then Sav- Savage wandered back towards the crowd for some reason to do the part you talked about. Yeah. yeah. Leaving Elizabeth, you know, on her own. Meanwhile, George and the Animal Steel is in the ring with Lou Albano, and this <laughs> ostensibly is his first look at her. So he's smitten like King Kong, which Gene... I mean, rather, Vince references. And, you know, we are now actually 
uh, fans of Animal George the Animal Steals. <laughs> it's shtick. a lot funnier than when I was a teenager. Yeah, even in my twenties, I think when I watched this stuff, I was like, no. <laughs> but now I'm he's pretty. Now funny. the way he waves his arms is like he he takes one arm and he puts it behind his head and bends his elbow, so like his hand is kind of you know like he's putting on his toupee, and, you know, <laughs> and then his other hand is like stretched out towards you. But both of them are doing this flippity floppity wiggly yeah, yeah. woogie yeah. boogie woogie <laughs> thing. It's really and he's moving his head and just it's really funny now. I. <laughs> really like it a lot and but i mean where we are at this point savage's mouth now a couple of guys are at, at the barricade about melting right. off to savage and that that's all there's some chirping going on and george animal steals slowly approaching elizabeth and then he puts his hand on her shoulder and yeah. or maybe he might actually put his forehead on her and then he yeah he leans yeah. his head down her, on her shoulder. jesse's disgusted look at that pawn elizabeth yeah. that's yeah. disgusting <laughs> come on albano do your job and get him off of her and then albano does walk over and, and is like come here george come here george and he get he, he gets some woogie woogie <laughs> it's for captain lou uh macho man figures out what's going on he catches a glimpse of George touching Elizabeth, so he comes in and gives the gears to Elizabeth because that's, that's right. what the proper heel does. Is he doesn't blame anyway. He, so he's a jerk, and you're just hating Randy Savage for um, you know, like like you said, sort of grasping her by the chin. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. you know, tell her and and Jesse's you know, like, tell her what's what, macho man. Yeah, yeah, give her the you know, teach her a lesson. That's right. Um, so, you know, that's all the pre-match shtick. And really, that's what, what this is, because calling yeah. it a match, <laughs> it's more about the, you know, storyline that they're building. So when the bell rings, we get the classic George Steele boogaloo arm wavies <laughs> and Macho Man just jumps out yeah, of the he's ring. He's not even having it. Yeah. He's just out. He can't wrestle that. <laughs> And Macho Man gets back in, and the same thing again. But it is funny. I now watch it and love it, where I hated yeah, it then. Yeah, I yeah. gotta say, I do love it now. Um, when Macho Man finally does like try for a collar and elbow, <laughs> which is a waste of time with George. George like plants his face, some kind of chew <laughs> on the cheek or nose, and you know, with his hand covering, obscuring, so you can't quite see. And yeah, you know, yeah. uh, Savage takes it for a bit. <laughs> So uh, there's no wrestling going on, and kicks and punches, you know, don't work on this and on on, on steel at this point. <laughs> Macho man, so somebody bails over the top rope, and George follows, but his uh, he he dotes on Liz. Yeah, he's always he, distracted so easily. Yeah. He, uh, however, he has an animal cunning when Randy climbs up to the top rope. He's yes, onto him. This is what I noticed this time watching this match. And I, I don't think I've ever caught on to this. And it, in this particular match, like Savage does it about three or four times in a row. He keeps scaling the different corners and George keeps going arr, arr, and moving away. Like it's yeah. this threat. Like he's Savage has got high ground and he's like, he you know, he's like the predator coming for yeah. him. And, and, uh, and George is laser focused on yeah. that threat and he, he runs away so that Savage can't, is like, out of we range. We made mention of it with the Tito tag match where Savage got up on the rope to sort of threaten this, but this is different because it's just like, you know, it's just the way they kind of set it up and it was like, you know, when George moves through a different part of the ring, so then Savage moves over there and takes that position and yeah. that, that high, high, high perch. It's, it's great really de- neat. Yeah. Great defense from George the Animal Steel. That's right. <laughs> uh, Unlike I- today, they would just stand there with their arms, you know, Right, the manager Pick and the, the and the wrestler would stand there waiting for the backflip, and okay, we'll catch you. Right. Okay, yeah, we'll catch you. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> no worries. When Steel makes his way back into the ring, Savage 
uses that opportunity to kick him as he's climbing under and then Savage yeah. drives a couple of knee lifts. But uh, George is sort of like kind of no-sells them because he's yeah. basically an animal. And they go back outside again. Uh, you know, he, Macho Man gets clubbed a couple times, rolls out of the <laughs> ring. Savage follows him. And this time, the cower behind Elizabeth has a different result. That's right. Instead of like Hogan gets mad and, you know, at first won't <laughs> touch Elizabeth. You know, George is more than happy to touch That's Elizabeth. Right. <laughs> and, you know, to Jesse, the body is disgust. And uh, Macho Man realizes, too, that this tactic won't work. So he, you know, gets Elizabeth away from George right. and the animal steel. Yeah. And when we get back in the ring, George slams Macho Man and eats the turnbuckle, which is, you know, what I think was annoying as a kid because you you knew that there was no more wrestling match. match. The match couldn't last very long after he ripped the turnbuckle apart. No. So Macho Man tries to come over and do something, but he just gets a face full of foam and sort of a rake (laughs) on the nose. uh, It's funny how the fluff would always kind of stick to George's body hair. So he would be like covered in it like, you know, once he did that. Um, but then he does lose interest in the foam because of yeah. Elizabeth, of course. Yes. And Macho Man takes the opportunity to climb up under the top rope and hits him with a double axe handle on the back of the neck. It looks yeah. really good because, like, actually George is on his sneeze. Right, like through the ropes almost, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like sort of, yeah, that's right, hanging out of the ring over the second rope yeah. and, like, looking at Elizabeth and, Elizabeth! And, yeah, that's when he gets, <laughs> so it looks all the better when he gets clubbed from the top rope. <laughs> And Macho Man gets a, a three, even though George has got a leg under the rope. You know, yeah, just, that's right. Yeah, the leg was completely under the rope, and they just totally ignored it. Yeah. So uh, it's a pin, and that's the end of the match. And uh, Macho Man slings Elizabeth over his shoulders <laughs> and takes her to the dressing room, and that's the end of that one. Ella MSG New Year's Eve. <laughs> that's right. And then I think they make the comment of like, you know, he may have lost the match, but I think he's in love. <laughs> Correct. We'll see more of this angle. A lot more, yeah. You know, I, I definitely, too much. Yeah, I, I wish we did get other matches as well. But I think that, uh, as Jeff alluded to, there's more enjoyment to be had in these matches than we, you know, we had the first time around or the first hundred times around. Well, now we appreciate all the other, you know, not just the in the ring action. Now we are a little more respectful of the, uh, you know. Of everything, all the all the wrestlers and the ones that we didn't want to even watch back then, now we realize that <laughs> how well they were doing their job. Yeah, for sure. So that brings us to the next segment, which is sort of a flashback because we're back to that outdoor scene with Gene and Hulk Hogan, like when they were drinking their python, python, protein, patented patented python protein drink, dude. <laughs> and they're going to bring us to a year in review clip. And yeah, they I mean, they just bring it up. So Mean Gene's kind of, when you come in, he's boogieing, he's got a Walkman on, it's very (laughs) of the time, that look of like those headphones and the wires and everything that we're not used to now. And and what you get is what you would expect from a highlight reel, you know, all the stuff leading up to WrestleMania, all the stuff at WrestleMania, it starts really heavy Hogan, but it starts mixing everybody else in, you start to see other things. Almost everybody. Almost everybody, yeah. (laughs) That's that's the punchline at the end. And, you know, of course, a lot of Orndorff and uh, Piper and, uh, you know, so many things that we've been talking about are kind of played out throughout this. This is probably another redo on the music. Yeah, I I, I looked up what the music is because I didn't recognize it and I didn't find anything. I don't know what it originally would have been or if it even was this. So the street that is playing on the WWE Network file is Ride in the Streets, Nigel Jenkins. So we're not super familiar with it. Um, Actually, terrible lyrics. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So the only couple of things from the the highlights that I I loved is there's a Heenan smashing uh, Guobana with a trophy. 
<laughs> I love that part. And uh, and we get a look at Pete Doherty. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the Duke of Dorchester. <laughs> yeah, there's a little scene of him getting his hair pulled and him getting dragged back into the ring by the dog. It's that's that, that made me laugh. And that he's like got a fifty percent appearance. That's record. right. No, yeah, he's due so for far. Due for four. Yeah, he's doing better. And the other thing to note is that uh, you know Wendy Richter's than... still highlighted here. We still get about three different clips of Wendy and uh, and Cindy Lauper. So even though they've uh, you know parted ways, the WWF is still willing to uh, you know go there because they want to lean into that Cindy Lauper sort of fame and connection. And so it comes back to the arena and McMahon. <laughs> says that oh we we saw everybody and that's when Jesse wait gets a mad. minute McMahon <laughs> how come I didn't see no Jesse yeah. the body Ventura <laughs> he, he blames McMahon you had something to do with this didn't you I know you're behind it McMahon <laughs> so from there we're gonna go to an interview with Gene Okerlund's with Freddie Blassie and Volkoff well Nikolai's changed his tune a lot That's from right. since, you know, last time we talked to him, it was like Terminator 2 style <laughs> destruction of humanity. Yeah. Sarah Connor getting blasted at the playground. Um, <laughs> now they're inspired by the Geneva peace talks where Reagan and Gorbachev got together in November uh, to have a, uh, a, a scientific match. Yes. And uh, so... Nikolai Volkov, you know, says, um, Russian people are peaceful people. I won't stop until all peaceful goals show Russian superiority. A bit like, uh, you know, peacemakers, like, I am so dedicated to peace, I will murder every That's man, right. woman, and child. Peacemakers fun. Starring John Cena. I was never really a fan of John Cena, the wrestler. I didn't really watch, but peacemakers a good time. So it's a good promo uh, with, Volkov and sh- and then she shows up. Oh, it's so great! This is yeah. the best part. <laughs> uh-huh. And classy Freddie Blassie is also there, of course. You got and, lines. <laughs> yeah, well, he's um, this is this is uh, his call to arms: <laughs> Russia number one, Iran number one. And, and I think <laughs> nobody. Two, wait, it's, it's the it's the intro. Jin Min. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Jin Min. Forgot that. That's right. Wonderful. So he's coming to the ring with them, you know, and that's, yeah. the, that's kind of, you know, <laughs> that doesn't seem very peaceful. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So I also watched for fun a Corporal Kirshner match against uh, Rene Goulet just to see what he likes when, he's, when he wins. And yeah, uh, yeah. he was kind of clumsy. Yeah. But it, it was, it gave me a little more, I, it was just interesting because I, you yeah. know, but, you know, on the other hand. Maybe not interesting to include enough to include in the podcast, right? Well, he's you know he's his character is pretty simple because you know Sergeant Slaughter. Rambo, he looks like Rambo. Let me, yeah, a yeah. little bit, yeah, definitely. He definitely looks a little bit like Rambo. I think they're going for that. Yeah, he really was in the military, so that's like because oh. apparently when the wrestlers come in and have these interviews, you know, these first steps to coming into the WWF, they would meet with Vince McMahon, and more often than not, he would ask them like questions about their real life or like what their hobbies are, what their things were, and he would often turn those things into their. Okay, well, they actually spent some money because the next segment is Corporal Kirshner, and they've got, he goes low and he goes high. They got him crawling along the ground, yeah. you know, a la Commando, you know, yeah, Rambo, yeah. Uh, sneaky stealth warrior. Yeah. And then they've got him falling from a plane. He's got a parachute <laughs> and he's falling through the sky. So yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. I'm assuming that that was something that he was trained to do and they're like, okay, yeah. let's go shoot. But the, talk about your budget. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're investing in Kirshner. Yeah, you they're know? trying to make him something, yeah. Yep, right. For a respectful summit among nations, I, I gotta say that they don't show a lot of respect. Nikolai Volkov is singing his Russian national anthem. 
which I swear will never happen again, dude, on American <laughs> Soul. All my hoaxers, I'm sick and tired. I'll never sing again. Kirshner interrupts his national anthem, Well, Nikolai. yeah, but before that, he gets, there's the, with Jesse, he does the zip line or whatever you want to call it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's just him basically, you know, was... it's Jesse being very um, diplomatic with him. Like, I thought Jesse would be more prodding, but Jesse's actually kind of has this almost like respectful interview with Kirshner. Yeah. And then, like, he basically just explains that, you know, he's prepared for any situation. He can be dropped in anywhere and he will survive. And then he, like, you know, takes right. off on a zip line. Well, well, I forget the order then. That must be, maybe that's after the heels get the interview, then the zip line. Yeah. Well, actually, the, well, okay, wait, sorry. Yeah, you're, that leads into the zip line, him yes. falling out of the plane, yeah. and then Jesse, yeah. So I just so, a yeah. little muddled here. Jesse is asking him, you know, if he's going to, how he'll do in the match, and he said, the U.S. Army's prepared me to survive in any environment in the world, <laughs> and he's got, you know, a bit of a wooden kind of uh, barking, but it's, it's it works. He's a soldier, you know, yeah. you know, reporting for duty, it's fine. And then I guess because... They happen to have a zip line at the water park, you know, like how we, you know, anyway. And then so he's got, again, he's got his um, long pants and kind of a undershirt and they're all camouflage. And he's got a big shaggy head of brown curly hair and he's, and you know, some scruff. And he's got the knife, you know, the, the Rambo knife on his, <laughs> yeah. you know, in a. On his belt or something. A, a leg strap. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whatever the, a sheath strapped to his leg so yeah. he does like show us the proper way to enter the water and so he zip lines into the water with yeah. his boots and his belt and in his knife <laughs> it's not particularly uh you know exciting but no. uh, there he goes i mean it's it's a way to fold in their water environment what you know they water slides and zip lines yeah and so on right so i had Skipped over that part. Then we cut to the ring yeah. and Volkov singing his national anthem, with Hog- which Hogan vowed wouldn't happen, I think, just on the second na- Saturday That's Night's right. yeah. event. <laughs> Never again. Never again. And Corporal Kirshner undiplomatically interrupts, and he's got sort of a uh, contingent of soldiers that are escorting him to the ring, some honor guard of like six or eight guys. Right. That, like, got, they, um, they might even have their rifles, but uh, they're dressed in... Some kind of uniform. No yeah. bling, but anyway, but he's only a corporal. So <laughs> the match itself actually was uh, surprising in its cleanliness next That's to right. godliness. Like they they did a pretty good job of keeping it clean. I actually kept a little track of the clean breaks. Yeah, yeah. Volkov keeps showing how he's being honorable throughout the match. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's really good wrestling moves like waist locks to takedowns and roll ups and like you get to see all this action which uh, without a punch yeah. or a knee and like some of them though the guy gets a little bit like a takedown doesn't necessarily hurt but it might take the wind out of him for a second when yeah. you gut wrench a guy that's not necessarily a suplex but it is a takedown so that stuff's going on and and it's kind of back and forth but Nikolai's showing his great amateur wrestling skills yeah and it's awesome and. Uh, you know, also, the, Nikolai is so expecting a punch, you know, when, when they get back up to the ropes that it's, I almost think that Nikolai's going for a face turn, like, oh, American, nice, I'll t- turn no more Russia, you know. They go for a wrist lock, overhead wrist lock, test of strength, and then, I mean, Kirshner's got a big target painted on his back with that shaggy head of hair, you know, it's just begging for a handful to get pulled back, but Nikolai doesn't. Um, no, it's uh, just a clean... I think they let Kirshner overpower Nikolai, which, you know, is yeah. a little hard to believe. But anyway, and you know who the referee is here? Dean Malenko. 
Yeah, I had read that and I didn't catch it. Like I knew I was looking for him. I was looking for him and then noticed it in this match. Yeah, and then I forgot to like, I just forgot to notice him. And I'm like, that's, I totally, now that you say it, I totally read that he was like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, Dean Malenko's the ref. But yeah, that's good. I'm gonna have to take another peek just to get another look at him. Then things get a little clumsy. You get some bridges that don't quite work. You know, the head and shoulders of the roll throughs just don't, they don't look, you know, they perfectly slick and roll up and headlock. But never mind. That's okay. The guys, uh, they just keep going. And then you get a nice friendly handshake. And actually, I'm enjoying this, you know, honorable side of Nikolai Volkov, <laughs> the heel. It's going great. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm starting to think of Ring of Honor because another franchise later on wouldn't let you kick and punch. You know, it, right. like it, it was much more serious. And the matches began and ended with a handshake. Yeah, it was yeah. a real different, different take. set of rules here yeah. and there, yeah. It's pretty interesting. Only so many, only so many rope breaks and mm-hmm. whatever else. Um, so after the Ring of Honor, <laughs> there's a couple of, uh, there's a little bit of running the ropes and then Nikolai gets to do his cartwheels. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. And it's and then a match we saw, or a move we saw in uh, Savage and Steamboat, the, the flying chicken wing into a hammerlock, <laughs> yeah. which kind of looks like a strange do-si-do you yeah, expect yeah. in a hillbilly match with that's a four right. square, you know. <laughs> Instead, we see that, and uh, so Kirshner's got uh, Volkov in, in the hammerlock, and he's controlling yeah. it, but still no not one punch thrown. And this is really cool to see this. You know, I was actually enjoying it way more than I thought I would because yeah. it's a wrestling match, you yeah, know. Yeah. Stan Hansen wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a small package for a two count. Collar and elbow. Nikolai backs Kirshner into the ropes. And you have seen, by the way, throughout the match, the three or four minutes, lots of shots of Blassie and the Sheik, Sheik yeah. talking about what they're going to do. And like, okay. That's right. And one then, of the heels going to get in there. <laughs> rubbing their uh, hands together and gleefully planning all their machinations and cheating. Um, but, you know, it's waiting and waiting and waiting and yep. waiting. And they, they just don't do anything. They never get that opportunity yet. <laughs> no. I'm surprised it wasn't part of the match, but that's, a, you know, yeah. Right. So Volkov finally breaks a rule. Yeah. He gives, he grabs the top of Kirshner's Pants pulls him towards him and gives him a dirty knee in the solar plexus. And then to my surprise... He drops him over the top rope. He gives him the... Yeah, he picks him up and clotheslines him over the top rope. And then there's a big running knee while Kirshner's on the ground. And then a one, two, three, and a 90% clean win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if that's what you're going to call cheating, it's the least amount of cheating we've ever seen. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, it was a little disappointing, you know, but that's obviously what they're going for. I mean, come yeah. on, this is theater on the television screen. That's right. So the Sheik comes in to celebrate with Blassie and Volkov, and the corporal punches them both out. <laughs> he will not stand for it. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit clumsy. You can tell well, his body awareness and presence isn't great, because Volkov is going to go for a blow, but he awkwardly... And, and why can't a 100% fresh Sheik take him out? Like, yeah. you know, like, it's two-on-one, and he's still... Like, I, I get why they want to give him his... like. They should have made him attack them in a different way. The way he did it basically set him up to lose this comeback. You know, like for him to like, he went and hit hit Volkov, turned his back to Sheik. Sheik starts hitting him, but then he just no sells it and turns around and knocks Sheik down with like one hit or whatever. And it's just like, no, like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe have one of them not watching while he, Kirshner takes one of the, you know, knocks Sheik out of the ring or something. And then, you know, so that would have been better. So for me... <laughs> The noises that Volkov makes is some of the greatest comedy in the history of wrestling. Like, he'll do these. <laughs> it's really yeah. funny. Yeah. And there's a couple in this match, I think. I'm going to have to pull one out so we can hear it. But uh, my good friends over at the Laps Fan, they love to like take the dueling sounds of 
Volkov with his screaming specifically from the 1990 Survivor Series match. He's on the good guy team versus like Sergeant Slaughter's bad guy team. And he comes in in this match. He's like, and they take that noise and then they put it against the Lex Luger missed elbow drop scream. Because <laughs> yeah. Lex Luger makes crazy noises when he misses elbow drops. He jumps in the air when the guy rolls out of the way. When Lex Luger's still about four feet off the ground, he'll go like, <laughs> like, you know, like, and like whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know? And so they'll, they'll sync this together. So anyways, the chairman over at the Laps Van, that's a shout out to you guys with a joke on that, those noises. Cause they just like make me laugh every time. I can't, I can't take it. It's too funny. <laughs> yeah. Definitely love Volkov and Sheik now more than, more than I knew. Before we go to commercial, there's a flashback to the Steamboat feud. So it's all the images we've seen over these last, you know, couple of shows. The choking, the chair, the spitting in the face, you know, there's all these dastardly things. So they go to commercial, and when they come back, there's footage of Don Morocco <laughs> coming out of the water on his surfboard. And, hey, there's those ladies again. <laughs> He's swarmed by all the bikini ladies. And so they go now to a live interview with Gene Okerlund and, of course, Morocco and Fuji and... Gene's asking about what about all these cheating tactics and Morocco's really like understated in his like, you know, his, his interview. He's not like yelling or getting angry. He's just kind of smirking and sort of like, oh, what is little Ricky complaining? He's kind of, you know, kind of taunting and doing him that way. And Gene asks him like, now you guys are in trouble because he's got the junkyard dog. And Morocco says, do I look like a mailman? <laughs> and so that uh, they head to the ring. And now you get an interview with Ricky Steamboat and JYD. And Gene says to him, Ricky Steamboat, you've been hijacked, hoodwinked, and bushwhacked. <laughs> like, you know, like all this stuff. And of course, we get our less than stellar Ricky Steamboat preview about how everywhere across the country, Canada, back to the States, up and down, Canada to Florida, you know, he's been trying to get them. And But now he's got the man for the job with them, Junkyard Dog. And so they head to the ring. And we're getting Grab Them Cakes, but... Like, it's funny because I'm pretty sure that song would be out by now, and I would think that would be the the song that Dog was playing, but the the audio is just too muddled for that to not be edited in. Like, there's something wrong there. Even to the point where you can't hear Howard Finkel talking. You can see him clearly speaking into the microphone, you know, before the match starts, and you can't hear anything he's saying. So that that tells me that, you know, something's, something's fishy, something's funny. So they did go to commercial during that little stretch there, and they come back. And when you come back... All four men are already brawling, and the bad guys have jumped out to an early lead. They've somehow, you know, jumped the good guys, and they've taken advantage. And it's Dog on the inside taking a bit of a beating, and Fuji slams Ricky Steamboat on the cement on the outside. That's pretty impressive looking. And so Dog, after a long time, finally gets an advantage, but he doesn't, like, he doesn't tag. So he gets a few moves, and he gets a headbutt in and a slam, but eventually he's getting beaten up again because he never he never tried to tag. So at this point, Steamboat's never been in the match, even though he took a slam on the outside. So Dog reverses a pile driver to sort of try to get out of this, but he's cut off by Fuji, who then does one of those falling headbutts to the groin. And oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> those never look good. But Steamboat comes in, you know, he's finally, and uh, he's on fire. He's knocking everybody down, doing everything. There's a great moment. He does this awesome slingshot so he, he nails Morocco and the timing is beautiful Fuji starts to come in right at the right moment so that Ricky Steamboat slingshots Morocco into his own corner which times with Fuji coming into the ring so they just smash they slam into each other perfectly and it's, it's a, it doesn't he's not standing there waiting for it to happen you know he's like at the they couldn't have timed it any better it's, it's really funny it's really good at that point Steamboat goes up for a uh, top for a flying body press 
that on Morocco, and he gets the pin on that, but Fuji breaks it up, and then they bring Fuji back in, because now they're, they've got an advantage on Steamboat just from that one kick, apparently, and Fuji goes for what would either be a back suplex or an atomic drop, and Steamboat flips over the top, and he tags in Dog, who comes in with a headbutt, and pins Mr. Fuji. So it's kind of a bit of an underwhelming ending that doesn't quite make sense. And so he gets the pin, and Steamboat's just attacking Morocco. Like, he's beating the crap out of him in the corner, and he's trying to get at him. And Dog's giving more beats to Fuji. He gives him another headbutt, knocks him out of the ring. But then there's this weird moment where, like, Steamboat's reaching through the ropes to get back at Morocco. But then all of a sudden, Morocco starts nailing him. So now Morocco's on the outside of the ring, beating up Steamboat, who's who's half hanging out of the ring. And uh, that gets separated. And we sort of, you know, I guess you're left feeling like, there's more to the feud. And it's like, really? There's more to the feud? <laughs> this this has been a long feud. We've had a lot of matches out of this. So Right. Well, you probably all understand this, but really, Fuji is the weak link of their team. So it's the way that uh, the Freebirds could, uh, you know, suffer a loss. That's was, right. You know, yeah. just, like, just pin Fuji. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Michael Hayes would do the talking. Terry Gordy would do the wrestling. And Buddy Roberts <laughs> would do the losing. <laughs> so in this case, Fuji, you can just, you know, of anybody here... Who has a lot to lose by getting pinned clean? Yeah. You know, it's it's Fuji who can afford to, I mean, he's 15 to 20 years ahead of any of these other guys. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. We covered Fuji pretty well in our last, last episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we come back, and we're starting to do the wrap-up on the night. So Jesse McMahon, of course, and... McMahon's starting to go on about what a great night it is. And Jesse cuts him off and says, no, no, no. The greatest thing tonight was what I did. <laughs> I'm the first commentator ever to step in the ring, McMahon. That's right. And he challenges all other commentators to do the same. <laughs> yeah. So they have yet another one of those. We've talked about this before, how the end of Saturday's main event would usually be like two or three trips to like commercials, like with not much in between. So you get a final sign off. Uh, they, they wish everyone a happy new year. And the credits play, and you get back into that year review video. And that's the way Saturday Night's Main Event number four comes to an end. So, yeah, Vince signs off with the Happy New Year's, right? But again, uh, is he standing by a pool and it's sunny, <laughs> you know, and it's really. Well, he's in an arena at this point, but. Oh, yeah. All right. Still, the whole theme of the show is like it cuts to outdoor sunshine Daytime. inside. Yeah, 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 to the the wrestling, right? So you That's never right. know that it's like a nighttime event. And anyway, it is that time of year. And so between the last episode of Saturday Night's Main Event and this one, there was some Christmas stuff that I <laughs> took a look at, and I recommend you don't <laughs> take a look at. Uh, one funny thing was Lou Albano as Captain. Uh, as as Captain Santa Claus, <laughs> and he was having some fun, and one girl wanted for Christmas Paul Arndorf. <laughs> I think it was Cal Redman in disguise. That's right. Um, and then they did uh, Roddy's Christmas Carol. Now it was pretty weak, I gotta say. They're really leaning on the improvis- improvisational skills of Roddy Piper, That's and right. uh, there was just not a lot going on. These ghosts come in and they're so unscary, you know, as if Piper's supposed to be afraid of these scrawny people in Christmas caroler outfits, you know, and uh, it, it doesn't particularly work. However, it does give me a chance to touch upon some of the magic of professional wrestling and storytelling. So Charles Dickens wrote the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, which, of course, is one of the most famous stories in the world. And it has a lot to do with wrestling. You have the villain of Scrooge who does a face turn. 
and that's you know okay, a christmas yeah. carol this guy you know goes from horrible person just rotten to everybody sees the error of his ways yes and then he becomes the face <laughs> and it's about the power of redemptions and you know this touches on you know the human spirit and you know dignity of life and what makes life worth living is you know people you know being able to change and giving people a second chance and not just dismissing people for their sins and their the evils they may have committed and people want to believe this in real life of other humans and that's why in wrestling it's done over and over and over again and that's what the christmas carol is the best face turn in literature <laughs> a scrooge you know becoming a face and uh-huh. you know the fans will forgive these rotten villains anything including abusing a beautiful lady like elizabeth that's right yeah so uh you don't need to watch roddy's christmas carol <laughs> yeah. but i do recommend the char the works of charles dickens <laughs> yeah yeah i do believe that all of those different kind of segments would originally air on that tnt show that was still on the air at this time and there is a lot of like you know eye rolling cringy kind of stuff out there but you know like anything else i'm sure if we looked at enough of it we'd probably find some stuff we'd laugh at that we might not have laughed at back in the day just because we you know have a different viewpoint on you know what's funny and what isn't now but I watched The Crown with my mom, and they had a character who you just hated at the beginning of the episode. And then he did his Scrooge (laughs) moment, his, you know, heel-to-face turn. And I took great lengths to explain to my mom how that's like the appeal of wrestling is heroes and villains and villains who can become heroes and heroes who can become villains to keep it interesting and to have some drama. Yeah. And it's got to, of course, be done with care. Yes. But they did it so well on one episode of The Crown that I said to my mom, this is what professional wrestling does. <laughs> you know, and like maybe the most famous turn of all is probably Hogan going bad. And it's just, it's magic. Yeah. You know, to see Savage. Well, actually, you don't even remember that Savage is. is I know that Savage is the guy that he's yeah, just Yeah, yeah. He's but, sort of an afterthought to the, to the clip. Yeah, he's not on screen, you know, at, when, you know, the classic when yeah. Hogan's got the mic and he's lifting up Mean Gene's arm. You know, yeah, yeah, he always yeah. gets his hand under Gene Okerlund's arm, so he, you know the to support the mic stand. <laughs> Gene's just the mic stand, and the, all the garbage <laughs> getting thrown at the ring. And Hogan, yeah. uh, after having been this boring babyface going bad, the people wanted it, and it worked. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's a long time for sometimes we're like they rush things, right? That's the big mistake in wrestling is that they want to flip things, you know, too quickly and they're too they're too eager to get their ratings or to get through that story. But when they take care, when they when they develop something and build it and cultivate it over a period of time and allow you to like sort of get there on your own as opposed to just like, oh, one week, good guy, next week, bad guy, you know, just like back and forth too much. And that's what kind of kills the magic of it. But when they, when it's done at the right amount, the right amount, of, the right amount of turns, the right amount of like you know time in between those turns, that's what can get wrestling fans excited and make us remember these angles for years and decades to come. And it can be different ways of showing respect or honor. There was an, a Mexican angle of a masked wrestler who was the biggest villain for like decades, and then he lost a loser must unmask match and he complied took off his mask and became a face yeah the crowd went bananas wow because he kept his word yeah neat okay that's gonna wrap us up this week we're gonna look ahead to what's coming up so 
The next Saturday Night's Main Event is a pivotal one. It's the setup for WrestleMania 2. But before we get there, we have some other things we want to we want to tackle. So, next week we will be bringing you a version of AWA Stargate. It's a show from September 1985, helping Jeff and I go back to our glory years of AWA wrestling. In the f- past that, we're looking for a special interview. Now, I'm not going to commit to until this thing's in the can. I'm not saying the name, that's for sure. But we do have a, a, a really neat interview set up, and that'll be coming out in the near future as well. And once we do that, that'll set us up. We'll get back on the Saturday's main event trail. And once we get into 1986, there's so much stuff happening. There's superstars on the Superstation. There's more Saturday's main events. We got to get through WrestleMania 2. And when we get to that spring of 86, that's when you get into Draper's World. That's when you get into my videotapes when I had all those Saturday's main events. And then we're going to really start having some fun. Any final words, Jeff? This was a fun episode. This was the fourth, the Steed, the Confuser, the Sunshine Christmas edition. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, great to, uh, yeah, I, 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 I never forgot Savage throwing Elizabeth into the waters. So many things <laughs> were uh, lasting memories. Good times. Okay, that's going to take us home for this week. You'll hopefully join us again here on the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. See ya. Yeah.